Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. Ryan Nicodemus is on vacation this week. But we're here with Alabama, with TK Coleman, with the rest of our team. And we've got a special episode for you today. Jamie Kilstein is in the studio, y'all. Hey, everybody. I took my shoes off to honor Ryan, uh, RIP, bud, or enjoy vacation. Sorry. <laughs> well, we do it in the rest while he's on vacation yeah. and, and experience peace yeah. and quiet and yeah. calm and tranquility. <laughs> yeah, just don't die because now it's going to seem like if something happens, it's my fault and I just wanted a co-host spot on this show. <laughs> and also, well, I love you, Ryan. Let's start with our questions. We're going to start with our callers. If you have a question or comment for our podcast, give us a call, 406-219-7839, or email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. Let us know that you're a private podcast subscriber so we can prioritize your message. Our first question today is from Emily in Manhattan, Kansas. I always find myself caught off guard when somebody says they are quote-unquote quitting minimalism. And I'm wondering, what do you guys think when you hear someone say that? It sounds like I just moved and I had to buy a ton of furniture. And I was like, I'm going to be a minimalist, but I'd never been to the store home goods before. And I was like, I need a mat for every room. And I bought so many things. And so I feel like I I relapsed on on giving up minimalism uh, last week. And I apologize to everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's start there because you know what? What's funny is I, when I got this question, I did realize how many videos I've seen within the last year or so on YouTube and other places. And I think part of this phenomenon is people looking for more clicks. And so they're oh, saying, yes, I'm quitting minimalism, but they're not really. You go watch the videos and they're like, well, not really. And, and so here, here's my analogy. And TK, you tell me what you think about this. So a carpenter might quit carpentry, but they may not stop using their hammer for the rest of their lives. I look at minimalism more like a tool than a destination. It's not about being a minimalist so much as it's about using minimalism, simplifying my life, being intentional with my life, using that as a tool to live more meaningfully. Yeah, you don't have to like eternal sunshine your hammer or your, you know, the the documentary uh, uh, about minimalism. I I think you're right about clickbait. Um, I remember when I was vegan, there were so many videos blowing up of like, I'm an ex-vegan. And it's pretty much if there is a trend that seems to be helping people, you will get a popular YouTube video if you go, I don't like this popular thing. And then everyone clicks it. Also, minimalism, um, veganism, Buddha, any practice um, is hard. And so these YouTube videos blow up because you're kind of always longing to hear, you know, I know I was like when I was vegan and I'm not vegan anymore and I feel good, blah, blah, blah. But when I was vegan and I was struggling, I always wanted to see a video pop up my YouTube feed of just some like hot muscular dude be like, I gave up <laughs> veganism and now like I can't stop getting laid. And I'd be like, why, why, why? And it was mainly just because I didn't want to do the hard thing anymore. Um, but I think what you're talking about is really important. So I had this moment this week where I went to visit um, a bunch of people who were friends of Ram Dass and Alan Watts and all these spiritual people. And I feel like 
I felt like I was sort of losing my way spiritually. And I was like, what do I need? Do I need a, a practice? Do I need an altar? Like, do I, do I say Hare Krishna? Like, what am I supposed to do? And the more they were asking me about my life and where I am with it, I realized that I have been using spirituality in my life. I have been looking at people with kindness or with love. I have been catching myself when I'm starting to completely mentally spiral and be like, hey, Jamie, are you garbage? And I'm like, it's 8 a.m. Um, but I'll catch myself and be like, hey, this isn't real. This is a pattern. This is a habit. And so even though I wasn't doing a practice, and I don't know what a minimalist practice looks like, right? Like, yeah, bowing down to like your guys' Netflix <laughs> documentary. Um, you know, m maybe they, maybe they, maybe they, moved like me, right? Like I moved, I had to buy a bunch of new stuff. Um, that doesn't mean that now suddenly I'm just like, I must have all the things and have turned into some gluttonous, you know, capitalist and used to collect, collect, collect. Um, I'm still a minimalist. I just needed, I just needed some mats for my place. Yeah. I feel the same <laughs> way. When I, when I moved recently, I had to buy some new things that were appropriate for my new home and so, new home. And sometimes what we do is we overcorrect. We'll yes, buy a thing. Yes. And we're going to, and later, in fact, later in this private podcast episode, we're going to talk about your Roomba. And I returned it. We, <laughs> I panicked. Okay, yes, we have no, to talk no, about No, no, we'll it. talk about that later because we have this <laughs> segment called Amass It or Trash It. Ooh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, here's what I'll say, though, Jamie. Sometimes what we do is we leave something yeah. thinking that thing was the problem when it was never the problem at all. You moved yeah. to Tucson when you left LA. Let's talk about that a little bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> What's funny is I'm so scared my most recent ex is going to listen to this podcast because she's a fan. But now we're going to go one ex before her to talk about that, which I didn't see coming. Um, <laughs> what a what a surprise of nightmares. OK, so I um, I was dating this girl in L.A. and it we clearly settled for each other like she was fine. She was fine. Um, and I was fine. And I even remember, because we were both, it was the only girl I ever dated from a dating site. And she was like, I'm so glad you're not a creep. And I was like, bar exceeded. Like, I, I guess that's <laughs> all I had to do, right? So I was like, great, cool. And, uh, you know, it very clearly wasn't working, but I think we were, I was so tired of the girls I was going on dates with. She was so tired of these creepy dudes. Um, and, you know, I'm, we're, I'm getting older now. I just turned 40. So it's kind of like, all right. I think a lot of people do this. You're like, this is the best it's going to get. Because my standards were so low, not even for women, my standards were so low for myself mm. and what I deserved and what I thought I deserved. And so when we weren't working, we moved to Arizona because instead of saying, hey, maybe we ignored some red flags and maybe we were just, you know, good for a couple months to show each other we deserve more and be kind to each other and stuff like that. Instead, we were like, no, you know what? It was probably LA's fault. We should leave the entire state of California. That'll fix the relationship. And then uh, we moved to Arizona and then we broke up a couple months later. Uh, we were just miserable in the mountains instead of miserable in the valley. And so what I'm seeing here is sometimes you try to run away from from the thing and it simply it. follows you because you're clinging to something else. Yeah. TK, let's bring this home for Emily. So she's seeing this trend of everyone quitting minimalism because mm. it's now minimalism was trendy when our Netflix documentary yeah. came out in 2016 <laughs> and it's not the cool thing for them anymore. And so they're giving up their hammer because I'm, I'm done with this. I don't ever want to use a hammer ever again. Talk to me, TK. For all of those who are quitting minimalism, good. 
because now you can just get on with the business of living, Mm. which is what minimalism and any other meaningful ism is actually about. The, the, The truest sign of mastery is when you can do whatever you need to do without having to identify who you are with what it is you do. And the true sign of a novice is that label means everything. When you're first learning how to drive, you tell everybody you know, I'm in driver's ed, I'm gonna get my license. You're talking about driving more than you're actually doing it. But after you've learned how to drive and you've been doing it for a few years, you hardly ever talk about your status as a driver. That's part of the backdrop to just you going where you need to go. It's true when people learn how to meditate, when they start a new diet, they talk about it all the time. I'm into meditation now. I'm into the keto diet now. But once you take what's meaningful and you internalize it and it becomes a part of your lifestyle, you drop the label and you just get on with the business of living a healthy life regardless of what it's called. So it doesn't matter if you're quitting minimalism, just don't ever quit doing what's best for you, Mm. doing what makes you healthy. Mm. I love that. I mean, I, I did drive very well over here from Santa Monica. I was <laughs> using my blinker. Uh, I made good time. Uh, yeah, that's, dude, that's such a good point. I mean, that's a joke about vegans or CrossFit or, and I'm so guilty of it. And par- uh, partly I do it too to hold myself accountable because I think I'm going to walk away from it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, guys, I stopped watching porn and all, I, this is the first time I've told anybody and I'm so, now all of you know. And so if you hear me being like, man, I love porn. Oh, no, no, yell at me. But like, I wanted to tweet about it. And yeah. I wanted just to be like, ah, the world, I'm doing this good thing. And like, it's kind of virtue signaling, but it's also like, I want to keep doing it. I want to hold myself accountable. Yep. And yeah, I'm so guilty of that. The second I touch a book on Buddhism, I am just launching to everybody that I'm like, well, it's like Buddha said, yeah, when Buddha was sitting under the tree, you know what? I love Buddha. Yeah. Like, and it's just, I don't <laughs> stop doing it. Well, I, I want to affirm that too, because I think that's a good thing because that's part of the process of reinforcing this new belief system or this new mm. set of rituals that we're trying out and that we're trying to, to, to make fit into our lives. I call it new convert syndrome. The new convert is the person that's least grounded in their faith. And so they need to talk about it explicitly because they're wrestling with it. They're processing. They're seeing how they do this and how they do that. But after a while, when you warm up to it, you start to express whatever it is you believe in your actual behavior without feeling the need to make everything explicit or make sure everybody knows you're part of that label. So it is part of the learning process. But once you've mastered it, you can move from that stage of conscious competence to unconscious competence. Yeah, the way I talk about comedy, the way I talk about jujitsu now compared to when I started, it's just like, I will lie to people and say I'm not a comedian just so I don't have to talk about it sometimes. (laughs) Um, Yeah, what a great point, man. Emily, here's what I'll tell you. If minimalism is too extreme for you and you don't like that particularism, then just pick your own ism. Intentionalism, essentialism, living within your means-ism. Yep simplism. I don't care what you call it. What we're talking about here is living meaningfully with less, getting the excess out of the way so we can focus on what's important. We're going to send you a copy of our book, Everything That Remains. Emily, it's a book about Ryan and I quitting our past lives, walking away from something that was no longer serving us. So if minimalism is serving you, wonderful. If simplifying your life is serving you, great. It shows how we started simplifying our lives. So if you enjoy our podcast, I think you'll enjoy the audiobook version of Everything That Remains. It's still our most popular book to date. Or if you want the book book or the ebook version of Everything That Remains, we'll send that to you as well. Our next question is from Kevin in Southern California. What are some of the best outlets you found that help you stay calm during a hectic season? 
I mean, judging by his voice, he's fine. That was the most calming. <laughs> yeah, that right. sounded like a meditation app. Right. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, you're good, dude. <laughs> you're already done. <laughs> you did it. So, Jamie, your podcast is called a Fuck Up's Guide to the Universe. Oh, I didn't know if we could curse, but yes. Uh, my po- <laughs> my podcast, Very every time I go on most shows, I can't even promote my own podcast because I named it like an asshole. Yes, it's called a Fuck Up's Guide to the Universe. <laughs> what do you say when you're on other podcasts? What's the censor description? <sighs> I have to say like an F Up's Guide and then I just ramble on about how it's a stupid title <laughs> and then they forgot and then I just go, I don't know, man, follow me on Twitter. <laughs> So let's talk about being calm because this is something that I see with you. You bring a lot of nervous energy to your podcast (laughs) in real time. Sure. You're arguing with yourself in your living room. I have apologized to Mallory like 30 times today for nothing. Like that is the kind of nervous energy I am bringing everywhere. Yeah. So let's talk about bringing calm to the chaos. I Mm. think that's a problem because it presupposes that like, you can meditate at a Metallica concert. Yeah. Whereas Mm. removing, that's the whole point of minimalism. It's why I wouldn't quit minimalism. It has something to do with removing the excess so that you can, the calm is already there, but it's underneath the chaos. Yeah, I mean, I I remember, I'll never forget this. I had an ex who, she wouldn't meditate every day. She would only meditate when she got like mad. So we would like be arguing and she'd just be like, I have to go meditate. And then she'd storm off to go do it. And I was like, (laughs) I don't know if that's the way to do it. Um, I think the key is have calming rituals, morning routines, things you do to make your baseline solid, you know, and, and whatever makes your baseline solid, then it allows you when you do have those frantic moments, when I do find myself sort of tapped into my nervous energy, um, your baseline is still pretty good. So you're, you're clearer and you're more focused and you're more present to sort of recognize what is happening. Like, oh, this is why I, I drank too much. Like there are times I literally think I'm having a panic attack and then I take a breath because I worked out that day or I did the right things or I'm trying to be off my phone and I'll take a breath and I'll go, oh, wait a second. You like got home at two in the morning. So then you had like double the amount of coffee. Do you think maybe you're jittery because you had too much coffee? And then the second I kind of crack that code and I go, oh yeah, that makes sense. I'm fine. I'm still a little jittery, but I'm not completely a wreck. What you're doing is you're finding these other types of clutter. It's not material clutter, but for you, it's caffeinated clutter. Yep. There are a lot of things. All the bad. But Yes, the material possessions end up being just this physical manifestation of whatever's going on inside of us. Dude, totally. We have emotional clutter, mental clutter, spiritual clutter. It's all in there. Yeah. And then, of course, it we start to see it outwardly. We see it in our anxiety. We see it in our stress levels. Mm. We see it in our discontent, our dissatisfaction with the way things are. We see it in our jobs and our calendar clutter, our career mm. clutter. And so there are all these other things. We create these hectic environments because... The natural state, you go walk in nature, you see how uncluttered it is. It's and there are no straight lines. It's all curvy. It's all wiggly, as we talked about last week with Matt Nathanson. And and yet, what do we do? We try to perfect it. We try to improve it. We try to make things better. And in doing so, we create the chaos that then we stew in. Yeah. I That's right. Dude, That's I love right. that analogy. You would not walk into a forest and be like, you know what this place needs? It's like nothing. It needs nothing. <laughs> it is perfect. It makes me believe in God. It is great. And, you know, getting out into nature, that's one of the things, by the way. Yeah. When I'm 
not doing well, when I'm depressed, when it's been a week, when it's been, if I can force myself to get up and just go into the woods, and just chill and just listen and look around. I mean, I remember the last time I did it after my last breakup in Austin and I just went into the woods and I found myself like laughing where I was like, this is, I'm fine. This is fine. It's so minor in this huge, vast world, which is still beautiful. Those woods are still beautiful, whether I'm in a relationship or not, right? They're still like magic. Um, that's huge for me. Mm. You know, what you guys are talking about, self-care, it's not a way of escaping from reality. It's a way of preparing for reality yes. by, by yes, immersing yes. yourself in that which is truly real. It's kind of like going to the gym. Training, you, don't, yeah. you don't go to the gym to get away from work. You go to the gym to actually work harder than what the real world is ever going to demand of your body yes. so that when you go out into the real world and experience those challenges, you go, oh, yeah, I'm ready for this because I practice a version of this in the gym that's way harder than this box that I'm going to lift right now. Yeah. And it's the same way when we take a walk in the woods, when we go for a swim, when we meditate, when we pray or whatever it may be. It's not a way of saying I can't handle life, so I'm going to get away. It's a way of saying I want to be able to handle yep. life. So I'm going to get away, recognize that composure is a habit, and I'm going to cultivate the calm that I need during the storm when I'm outside of the storm by waking up before the storm uh, even starts. Dude, I love that. Um, speaking of my nervous energy, by the way, if I don't say this, I'm going to get so mad at myself. And sorry, but to Emily, the first question, I also wanted to say, when you're, when you're doing these things and you're confident with who you are, it almost sounded like that question was, my friends are bailing, but I don't want to bail good. That's okay. And maybe, you know, when we talk about minimalism, sometimes for me, um, it's also friends that don't share my values or who are going to make me feel stupid for being spiritual or why do you do jujitsu so much? Or like, why are you talking about all this like hippie going to the wood shit or whatever? Um, you still get to, because I have tons of friends who are losing friends right now because they're conservative or because they're too liberal or because of politics. And man, if 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 you're going to lose friends over doing something that makes you happy and healthy, it's like, that's fine. You can walk away from that and you'll be still pretty happy. Yeah. And I think it's good to know that that's going to be done to you no matter what you believe. Sometimes we try to come up with labels that will help us avoid being labeled. Dude, that and so that's much. just yeah. going to give you a, another kind of label. Yeah. Oh, um, I'm neither uh, conservative or liberal. I'm independent. I'm, and they're like, thinker. oh, so you're a coward? Yeah, and you're exactly. Like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, Kevin, also, ultimately what we're talking about here is in some way setting up boundaries for your life, whether it's a, a routine or ritual, morning ritual, or going to the gym, whatever it is. It's setting up boundaries. It's saying, when I'm within this space... This is all that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And I would encourage you to go to theminimalists.com slash rulebook. We have a free rulebook that you can download there. It's called The Minimalist Rulebook, 16 Rules for Living with Less. But they're not actually rules. They're boundaries that are adjustable for your own life. So if the 2020 rule doesn't work for you, make it the 40-40 rule. Or if the uh, wait for it rule doesn't work for you, you know, whatever it is, you, these are all adjustable for you. There's an audiobook version of that as well, theminimalists.com mm. slash rule book. You can download the ebook for free over there. I'm glad it's only 16. It would be really funny if it was like rules for minimalism, 835 of them. Like, wow, that is intense. <laughs> 16 more rules. Oh, yeah, yeah. Why the first 16? Beyond minimalism. <laughs> Our next question is from Christy in Bell Fountain, Ohio. I am currently going through the process of a divorce that will be fine on the end of October. I was married for two and a half years 
And once that process began, I moved from California all the way back to Ohio. And I ended up in my dream job and working two other jobs that I absolutely adore. I am in counseling on a weekly basis, and I would love to share some of the things that I have been learning and growing in. Sean, let's see if we can get Christy on the phone here. Hey, it's Christy. Christy, it's The Minimalists. Hi. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm outstanding. I'm here with TK Coleman and Jamie Kilstein is here as well. I'm sorry I'm not Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) that will be a real bummer she's like can you call me back next week I'll I'll still be dealing with the divorce yeah just call me back next week (laughs) yeah I mean I'm not gonna stop dealing with it so (laughs) we got time we can wait till Ryan's back from vacation yeah you got time we can try again later well, I, we we talked briefly back and forth on the podcast a few weeks ago, and uh, it sounds like uh, you've got some more for us. So let's uh, let's unpack this a bit. What are you struggling with right now? What 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 are you going through, and and how can we help? Yeah, absolutely. So when I wrote in originally, I was really tossing around um, trying to figure out how to even begin to move on from that kind of a relationship, um, going through a divorce and how do you move into a new relationship after that without, you know, bringing all of that baggage into the relationship and also not making those same mistakes again. So that was what I was really working through. Let's get specific. About three weeks ago. Let's try to get specific here. What kind kind of Um, mistakes did you experience? I think the main mistake was primarily a lack of communication in the first place. Um, not really being completely fully honest about what was happening on my end of the relationship. And the same thing happened with him that he wasn't completely honest about where he, what he was thinking and what was, you know, going through his mind and what he was feeling. That that really wasn't an open conversation between the two of us. And Christy, and why, that was why were you... why a lot of issues sprung up. Why were you feeling as though you couldn't be honest? Were you afraid of hurting his feelings? Was he afraid of hurting your feelings? Or was there something else? I think he was afraid of hurting my feelings. I was trying to keep the peace Mm. to be as concise as possible is that I was trying to do everything I could to... I had a sense that our marriage was already under a lot of stress. And we had had a conversation where the gist of it had been that he basically regretted getting married. And so in my mind, it was like, I need to be better. I need to be enough to prove that I'm worth his time. Um, Well, good news that you got Jamie instead of Ryan because I deal with all of this. Um, I lit up when I heard your question. (laughs) When it started with I'm divorced, my eyes went wide and I'm like, here comes my expertise, baby. Um, (laughs) So many breakups. Um, Okay, so... Yeah, there's a lot. So the the I'm not enough thing. Okay. When you were talking about I don't want to bring in baggage from this relationship into your next relationship. Um, don't bring in the baggage, but bring in the lessons, right? Like everything you're saying right now mm-hmm. is super important and and good. And you know, I think the 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 last brutal breakup I had Um, I remember I thought I was so ready and I wasn't going to make any of the mistakes because, you know, I, I took a break for relationships under COVID and I meditate now. And so everything's fine. And I caught myself making some of those same mistakes and I was so pissed because I was like, come on, man, like, didn't you learn everything? But what you have to realize with these habits is they are 
programmed into us from childhood. They are very hard to undo, but they can be undone. And, you know, there's a reason that, like, I always joke around whenever I have a, a new girlfriend and someone's like, what does she look like? I'm like, covered in red flags. And I find myself not noticing these red flags and it's because your body is used to them. Your body biologically tells you when you recognize something in a potential partner, like, Ooh, this is what leads to sex. We remember this when she's mean for no reason or, you know, whatever it is. And so you, you really do just have to be aware, um, of it, catch yourself and everything is a rep. You're just, you know, you're practicing, you're practicing getting better at it. But the biggest thing is that realizing that you deserve more and that you're not a failure and that most relationships don't work and most are hard. I've been thinking about my ex a lot and it's not because I want to get back together with her because like you, after this breakup, I landed my dream job. I literally was with her. We broke up. I was homeless. I was suicidal. And then a month later, I had my dream job, the most money I've ever made, the most success. And I was like, oh, okay. Yep. Maybe that relationship was a little toxic. Like I couldn't have more evidence. And same with you. You landed this great gig, right? But there's still this feeling of loneliness. I'm not enough. And I think that instead of looking for a partner to validate you, look at yourself and look at how much further you've come post this relationship and then keep building to that and keep adding to that. And then eventually, as I'm telling myself currently, uh, the right person who deserves you, not just someone you have to maintain the peace with so they don't leave and you don't have to deal with paperwork, like who deserves you uh, will come along. Jamie, let me uh, add something to that. I think you bring up a really great point. Quite often, we find love when we stop looking for love. Mm-hmm. We find mm-hmm. meaning when we stop looking for meaning. That's it. And I was so grasping. We were talking to someone on, on the last episode and she was uh, on one of the live calls and she was saying, I want to be loved. Well, that's a prison to want to be mm-hmm. loved mm-hmm. as opposed to approaching the world in a loving way. Because yes. when you approach the world in a loving way, love tends to return. It bounces off everything and right back at you. Now, let me have uh, ask you another question here, Christy. So I know you've been struggling with uh, this and Jamie brought up some of the, the red flags. So what were some of the red flags that you noticed or at least you see them now in the rear view mirror? And then also beyond that, what do you see on the horizon? What is your outcome? What do you actually want at this point? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the main... It took me a long time to see the red flags in the first place because I wanted so badly for things to work out. But the main one was that even though I was consistently telling him how I wanted to be loved, he was only choosing to love me how he wanted to. So I would be telling him, like, these are the things that help me feel loved and help me feel like you want me. And it would be like in one ear out the other. And he'd be like, well, I'm trying. And it was, you know, not even close to what I had asked from him. And even things just as simple as like, you know, just spend time with me in meaningful conversation. And instead he would come home with, you know, milkshakes. And it's like, that doesn't, that's not even close to what I asked. I'm lactose intolerant. So that was probably, (laughs) at the time I was actually having some dairy sensitivity. Oh Oh my God! That wasn't helpful. But yeah, but that was probably the biggest one was that I felt like I just wasn't being heard at all. Even when I would 
Like I would rehearse what I needed to say. So Mm. it would be super blunt and honest. So it would get through to him and then it still wouldn't. So that was probably the main thing that I just kept seeing. What is your outcome here? What do you, what do you want? We're going forward. What would you like out of a relationship? I think out of a relationship, I just want someone. Well, the first thing for me is that they have similar beliefs in the religion category because that was a point of conflict for me and my previous husband. Sure. Um, so I want someone who at least we have the same religious beliefs so that we can, you know, worship and do those things together. But beyond that, I just want someone who I can do life with, who mm. we can mutually support and encourage each other. And that's really all I'm looking for. But at the same time, I'm on this journey to learn how to realize that, you know, like I said, I'm I'm religious, I'm a believer in Christ, and I am learning how to, you know, hammer it into my thick skull that like I am enough in God. I don't need to be made enough by a partner. Mm. Um, And I don't need a partner to love me because I'm already loved. So that's the side of things that I'm really working on personally, because that's not something I want to put on another person's shoulders. Christy, I just love the way you process. And it's been a beautiful thing just hearing you talk this out. It's clear to me that you're very self-aware, that you have gone back and you've looked over things and you've identified a pretty clear understanding of where things have gone wrong. And what I love about your description is that you were able to release yourself from the blame and finger pointing of, of saying, hey, it's, it's, it's all my fault, while at the same time taking responsibility for the role that you played and identifying areas where you can improve. I love the balance that you have. Here are some ways that he fell short and some things that he got wrong. Here are some things that I've learned and that I think I could do better going forward. I just love it. And I, and I think you're doing all the right things. I just want to affirm as a fellow believer that last piece that you mentioned, I think that's everything. At the end of the mm-hmm. day, that's everything, you know, putting God first, putting faith first and not looking at who that next partner is going to be as someone that you have to settle for independently of the core values that shape your life. Because if you have to give that up in order to take someone else on, you're going to lose yourself in the process. And it doesn't matter how much someone else loves you if it's not the real you that they love. I don't know who this Godfellow you guys are talking about. Uh, but he sounds great. Um, I know because I've been thinking about that too. When uh, um, I, I, I was I was with the Ramdas people, there's got to be a better way to say that. Yesterday, they were like, "Dude, you need to find someone spiritual, um, you know, who's kind of on the same journey you are." And there's that self hating part of me that goes, yeah, but what if they're not out there? Or like, but what if they're really hot? Or but like, what if I can change them? And I've done this so many times where I'll just be like, make a list, make a list of non-negotiables. And then you meet someone and you go, this'll do. (laughs) And you just immediately sell those out. And it's because of a lack of self-confidence where you go, oh, well, I don't, um, you know, I don't deserve someone or that person's not out there. Or what if they're not? And I think just like you were saying, it's, it's believing that you are, good enough and you are loved on your own. I just wanted to address one more thing that I don't think we touched on that you mentioned, which is you can't, you know, you're still thinking about your ex a lot. Um, And this is kind of where I was going before, where I'm still thinking about my ex a lot and we didn't date a lot or we didn't date for that long, but it was very intense and we lived together and the breakup was brutal. And like I said, nothing but success since then, like could not Mm -hmm. have clearer signs that I'm not supposed to be with this person. 
And I go, why am I still thinking about this person? And then I remembered during my breakup when I was completely spiraling and just going down these like YouTube wormholes, like everywhere from like, what is a twin flame to Jocko advice on breakups? Um, which by the way, Jocko's just like, good, they're a lie. Like it was insane. Um, but I recommend it. Um, <laughs> the twin flame thing was really interesting, even if you don't believe in spirituality or whatever, where there are some people who feel like they are some sort of soulmate but they're just there to teach you a lesson. And it's not gonna work. There is just something in the stars or in you that it's just, it's not meant to be. But that doesn't mean that they don't still hold a huge place um, in your heart. You know, the last email correspondence I had with my ex, we were both like, you were my greatest teacher, period. This heartbreak drove me to finally take care of my shit, which I'd never done before. Um, I always thought a relationship could fix me. And so it's okay to think about the person. It makes sense. You've been through so much, but that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be in like a longing, I want them back. What could I have done differently? I need to fix this sort of way, if that makes sense. And Jamie, what, what you're talking about mm -hmm. there, well, there are a few things. One is the needing of someone else to fit a particular narrative, to fit mm. my story, <laughs> I'm going to hold on to this. That, that's not really love. And so when you say you know, you're looking for love or in a relationship, to love someone is to see them for who they are. And so unconditional love means that you're going to accept that person. Well, the best way to accept someone is if they do align by and large, right. with your values, with your right. beliefs, with the person that you would like, as opposed to trying to manipulate them into changing and fitting yep. your worldview. Because here's one of two things going to happen. One of you is going to change. You're either going to change to suit him in this scenario, and then you're going to get dragged by him, Yep. whoever the him is in this hypothetical, mm -hmm. or you're going to change him enough, modify him enough to drag him in your direction. And one of you is going to be really discontented throughout that to the point where I'm, and then you're going to get sick and tired of dragging him in that direction yeah, as well. Sitting around sadly drinking milkshakes you don't want for the rest <laughs> of your life. You don't want that. Yeah, me and my last <laughs> relationship, we were both doing that to each other. We were both trying to like change each other and then we were both, because we loved each other, we were both being like, okay, we can do that and then suddenly the resentment kicks in and we don't even know why and it's like, well, we agreed to these things. Yeah, but that's not love, Jamie. That, no, that's oh, attachment. No. Oh, and, totally. And we confuse attachment for love. Yes. We confuse yes, yes, like yes. for love as well. Mm -hmm. And so there are certain things that I don't like about my wife or I don't like about Ryan. The two yeah, let's get into closest it. people to me. Yeah, uh -huh. the way he picks his fingernails <laughs> drives me insane. And so, but if I were to try to change that, what is that? It's me saying, well, I, in order for me to love you, I also need to like everything about you. Well, that's yeah. unreasonable. Right. That's an unreasonable expectation. So wait, so what was the moment for you then that it did turn to love with your wife. Because what you're saying, especially in movies, we have to, you know, they have to fall in love within the first 15 minutes to establish, you know, the narrative or whatever, that there's going to be this drama, will they, won't they? And a lot of times it is, we're saying things at the same time. We have these things in common. You know, it is the things that are probably more attachment or like, or it's just supposed to be a hot one night stand. And then, you know, after you save the girl from the terrorists, like you're probably going to be fighting about like socks left out in like a week or two and they don't show that part in the movie. <laughs> um, what are you looking for with that love? Yeah, um, it, like when does that hit for you? It's, it's always there. And here's what I'll say is 
is I don't love my wife differently from how I love anyone in this room. To love is to simply see, right? Mm. We don't understand love anymore. Love right now in our culture means attachment. Yes. And it means I'm going to grasp on to you. But letting go is sort of the ultimate love language in a way. Letting go of the way I wish things were. I wish I could change you. I wish you didn't have these idiosyncrasies. I wish you were a different person. person. I wish you were taller. I wish you were shorter. I wish you were better. Whatever it might be. That's not love. That's conditions. That's transactional, right? And so I showed up in a loving way. And I think that's what Beck's really appreciated about me. And I learned this because of previous relationships were great teachers to me as well. When I failed previous relationships, it was quite often because I treated them transactional. Instead of loving people and using things, I would use people. And that's not love. I would manipulate people. I would try to change, not, not, And by the way, I thought it was a good thing I was doing. Oh, I'm going to change them to make them better. Yes, of course. And that problem, the problem with that is, that means I don't actually see you for who you are. Mm. But if you show up and and see the person for who they are, what you'll notice right away is, oh, that's not the right person for me. Or that's not the right person for me long term. Or that was a great season. But sometimes we just graduate from relationships. And so instead of the divorce Christy, I, I hope that I can talk to you about graduating from that relationship. What are the lessons you learned from it? And maybe there were parts of it that were absolutely amazing, astounding, yep. and you're grateful for. And maybe much of the suffering you can be grateful for as well, because that tumult that you were struggling with, that makes you who you are right now. And it helps you better understand and better prepare you for other partners in the future who are more aligned with the person you want to be. Yeah, how beautiful that you got to have this. You know, I met a man yesterday who lost his wife and he hasn't even dated for like 20 years. And I'm about to tell him I'm sorry. I'm about to go into that whole spiel. And before I could, he showed me all these pictures of him and his wife. And it was them in India. It was them doing all these amazing things. And they looked gorgeous. And it was, you know, I mean, it was probably in like the 70s. And I just choked up and I just said, you are so lucky. Like there was no amount, like those words just came out of my mouth before I could think about what I was saying. There was no condolences. There was no, I'm sorry. There was no, you got to get back on the horse, buddy. I was just, and he just goes, yeah, I know. And he was so happy and he was so, there was no remorse, none, because he lived this spectacular life with this like amazing woman. Mm. And like, yeah, man, it is heartbreaking when you look at it, but also... (laughs) Like the fact that we even get to love as hard as we did. The fact that I was so broken after this relationship shows me that I loved so hard, even if it was for a couple months. And like, damn, dude, there's so much tragedy in this world that if you get to love that hard, whether it's for a a, a month, a season, a year, uh, a marriage, and you get divorced after 30 years, like you are still lucky to have had that and lucky to have learned the lessons from that. And then there's more of that in the future. Christy, I got to move on to our social media questions, but I'm really grateful for your call. Thanks for uh, taking the time to, to chat with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for talking. All right. You can follow The Minimalists on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter at The Minimalists. We're here with Jamie Kilstein. Your social media, I think you're just Jamie Kilstein. Uh, well, no, my Instagram. Ugh, my Instagram is at the Jamie Kilstein, and then Twitter is Jamie Kilstein. All right. Is there another? Um, no, I kind of, I ignore Facebook. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there was. Um, and then I ignore Facebook and all that other stuff. It's too much. Um, my Twitter has a bigger following, but my Instagram is where I'm actually happy. So follow me there at the (laughs) Jamie Kilstein. There's more dogs there. Speaking of Twitter, we have a question from Twitter. Wendy has a question for us. I subscribe to the minimalist podcast, but I never have time to listen. 
Oh, this is the the one I sent you, Jamie. Yeah, you know she's. Uh, can, can we get? Well, she publicly tweeted it. Wendy Liebman is like an incredible comedian. She was one of the first comedians I saw before I started stand up. Oh, really? Yeah, that's why. Yeah, I, I, I was like, I, I, I didn't know if she was trying to be clever with that tweet or. Yeah, was I'm sure, her. it was a joke. Yeah, no, she is so funny. I mean, literally one of the first like half an hours on Comedy Central I watched as like a teenager. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. So I didn't want to address this one seriously because I knew it was a joke. And so as my mother always said, don't don't answer a unserious question with a serious answer. But I did want to take this opportunity to talk about time management. Yeah. Because we have this weird relationship with time. In fact, we're always manipulating time because we think we're happening in time as opposed to time being in us. It is always now and all the other platitudes that Eckhart Tolle might... Um, yeah, hand over to you as a gift. I was going to say, I just had a DMT flashback just hearing you talk about that. I was like, <laughs> I was like yeah, there is no time. Okay, sorry. I, I also <laughs> like how Josh was just like, my mama told me not to ask the questions like this, but we're going to do it anyway, mama. <laughs> it's Wendy Liebman. We got him. <laughs> I, I do want to talk about busyness. Yeah. So busy is the worst four-letter word in the English language. In fact, Danny, you should bleep this out. Wait, see you. Okay, yeah, sorry. Busy, 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 busy. <laughs> and... When I say I'm busy, what am I saying? My life is out of control. It's in shambles. Help me, help me. Yeah. What I'm saying is everyone else's priority is dictating what I do with my time. Yep. All of a sudden, your emergency has become my emergency. Your priority has become my priority. Your calendar has become my ca calendar. Your stress has become my stress. Your anxiety is my anxiety. I'm busy because I've said yes, 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 yes. And I've said yes so much, I don't have time to focus on what's actually important to me. The premise of the thing that I want to do is set aside for all the things that you want me to do. So busy is a dangerous word because it's a status symbol as well. Oh, what are you up to? I'm real busy mm. lately. Look how mm. important I am. Yeah. As opposed to saying, well, no, I need to start saying, though. No. In fact, if you want to be calmer, you want to be less busy, you want to have time for the things that are actually important to you, well, the thing that's important to you, whatever that might be, then you have to say no. I'm going to say no to your obligation, to your emergency, to your stress, so I can say yes to my peace, to my calm, my quiet. Do you remember how we became friends? No. So you actually, he, uh, he, 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 he acts on what he preaches, ladies and gentlemen. Um, <laughs> we started following each other on Twitter and I asked you if you wanted to do my podcast and you said, uh, I'm not doing podcasts right now or I don't have time to do podcasts, but if you want to be friends, we can like have a conversation or have coffee. And I was just like, yeah, all right, I'll, I'll play this game. Uh, and then I was, in LA, I was like, what's that mean? I thought we just do each other's podcast and then never talk to each other. And then we became friends. And then we started doing shows because we bonded. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it, 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 it was very authentic. You were making room in your life for like friendship or interesting conversations, but not to, you know, more podcasts or more uh, busy work. There's, there, there's a great... I was talking to a girlfriend about this yesterday, and it's always the, the nice people who are doing so much for others that they don't get to take care of themselves. And, mm. you know, there's, there's two things. One, if you're not going to think about yourself, think about other people. And you can think about other people. I mean, you should think about yourself, but this is a way to trick yourself into it. It's you will take care of other people better if you are taking care of yourself first, you will be less resentful. You will be more present. You will be happy to help people um, if you're taking care of yourself first. And the 
The story I love, I don't know if you call it a parable, if it's Buddhism, but there's this great Buddha story I love. Um, it's about meditation, but it could be used for anything, the gym, you know, you name it, which is the guy asks the monk, uh, how long should I meditate for a day? And the monk goes, 10 minutes a day. And the guy goes, I don't have 10 minutes a day. And the monk goes, okay, an hour a day. And it's that, where it's the less time you think you have for yourself, the more time you need to make for yourself, period. Mm. If you want to become ugly, be busy. If you want to become beautiful, build boundaries. Mm. Richard Foster said, hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. Ooh. Yeah. There's a T.S. Eliot quote that we are distracted from distractions by distractions. Mm. <laughs> and well, why do we constantly fill our lives with all of these distractions? That's what busyness is. It's distracting myself from what is important. It's distracting myself from the moment. It's pretending as though we're going to reach some hypothetical place of bliss, of completion. And you will. It's called death. But until we get there, we might as well spend these nows, each now that we have. And we often talk about now because time is a weird thing. We waste time because of the way that we even talk about time, right? We pretend as though all time is the same time, as though every minute is the same. Mm. If you've been in intense pain before, a minute can feel like a day. <laughs> if you are in a flow state and everything's going beautifully, an hour can feel like seconds. Yeah. And yet, we often use these cliches around time like, uh, oh, I stole some time so I could spend it with my daughter. Well, oh. What kind of crime did I have to commit here in order just to be with my daughter? Or, you know, I just don't have the time or I'm searching for the time or that is a waste of time. All of these different sayings that we deploy, they help us manipulate our schedules, but they don't do a whole lot for us with respect to um, living in the moment. Also, I think subconsciously you picked daughter as the example because that's the line we hear the most. We don't hear, I stole time to go back to work. Like usually the work or the thing you don't want to do is the given and you have to steal it for your family mm -hmm. or for something that you should actually like, oh my God, I can't believe I got to go to his baseball game or, you know, whatever. And how sad is that? Also, man, every time I come on the show, I, I so envy how you guys can just quote literature like that. And I've always wanted to be that kind of person. And I'm not like, I wanted to jump in, but I would have just been like, uh, John Wick said, I'm going to kill you for hurting my dog. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't know how to do it. And I want to do it so bad. I want to do it so bad. Anyway, okay. That's so perfect though. <laughs> Quoting John Wick is <laughs> just so I'm going to do on every podcast. <laughs> no one blow up my spot because I won't say it's a joke. I'm going to do it very earnestly on every other podcast. I'll be like, well, John Wick and John Wick 3 said. You say Dr. John Wick. And when you <laughs> say that, people will be like, what? Do Dr. John Wick the third. He said, try to come for me. Um, <laughs> By the way, uh, George Lakoff talks about this in metaphors. You guys are so <laughs> no. smart. Okay. Stop, stop. In metaphors we live by, he talks about um, how a metaphor serves the dual function of both revealing something important and concealing something important. Mm. So you always gain something and lose something significant with each metaphor that you live by. Cool. And the time as money metaphor is a very common way that we use to think about time because time is this intangible thing that we can't quite grasp and thinking of it as a kind of money mm. helps us make it a little more you know, palpable. Like tangible, it, yeah, yeah it help, helps us make it tangible. And we acquire something important, but we also lose something important. 
Because then we begin to take ourselves literally and too seriously when we say things like, don't waste time, be careful how you spend your time, make sure you save time. And we forget that time is the sort of thing that can't be spent, can't be saved, can't be wasted because it's not money. That doesn't mean that everything that you do is healthy, but it means that time is bigger than all of that. And sometimes the best way to manage time is to step outside of this conceptual framework that limits our thinking of time as to like just another commodity, just another thing to be spent or saved, like to respect the mystery that is time and to admit we don't know what this thing called time really is. And then that brings us into a state of awe into a state of reverence. And what does that do? That grounds us in the present. I want to wrap up this question by talking about priorities. Your priorities are not what you say they are. You can say your health is a priority, your relationships are a priority, contributing to your community is a priority. But however you spend your time, that is your priority. So if you're scrolling Instagram right now or TikTok or Twitter, no problem with that. But just recognize that that is your priority. Priority simply means the first thing. Mm. And in the primacy of this moment, there is only this moment. Whatever you're doing right now, that is your priority. Warren Buffett has this great thought experiment. He says, take the 25 things that you want to do, the 25 goals, and look at the 20 that are on the bottom of the list, take the top five and say, these are the things we're going to focus on. Don't just say maybe to those other ones. Say hell no to the other 20. I do that with the other 24. Whatever the number one thing is, that is the hell yeah. And everything else isn't a uh, maybe one day. It's a hell no. I can't do that because it's so enticing Mm. that it's going to keep me from doing the priority. There is only one priority. The word priority wasn't a plural until the 20th century. It's a very American thing to have priorities. You can't have 63 the first things. (laughs) You can have only one the first thing. Whatever you're doing right now, that is your priority. Mm. Come on. All right, let's move on to Instagram. We got a question here from Instagram. Bo has a question for us. I'm really struggling with going through the photos on my phone. What's a good way to sort them and be minimal about it? I have a few just simple tips here. Let's talk about the photos on your phone. Here's a pithy answer for you. So not buying a thing is letting go in advance. Now, what does that have to do with your phone? Well, not taking the picture means you don't have to delete them. So I have this rule on my phone that anytime I go take a picture of someone, my daughter, we go to an event, a concert, whatever, I will take one photo. I learned this from my friend Adam, who's a photographer, uses film photography. So he doesn't want to waste the photos. by Because with our phone, we can take infinite photos now, right? I'll just snap a thousand photos. I'll figure it out later. Well, then you get back to your camera roll eventually, and it's a mess. It's cluttered with the same photo over and over and over and over. So what I do is I go take one photo. And even, oops, my thumb was accidentally in the picture. So what? That's great. I took the one photo, and then I put the phone in my pocket. I put it on airplane mode. It's done That's now. Great, dude. Even though the photo was terrible, it was blurry, whatever it was, I took the photo. That's my boundary. I'm done. And so that's one thing I do. The other thing I do, if I have any duplicates from the past that I want to get rid of, I set a trigger. For me, it's any time that I am on an airplane. I, as soon as I sit down in the airplane, I start going through the camera roll. I delete anything I don't want in the camera roll anymore. That way, the camera roll sort of serves as my photo album that I can reference all the time. There are no duplicates and it's really simple. I like that so much. I 
I almost nuked them all yesterday. I my I feel like my iPhone memory is set to tragic. Like I don't know where that setting came from, but it's literally like, hey, remember when you were in love and your cat was alive every day? And so I literally, I mean, I got some cool pictures on there with like people I look up to and people who aren't here anymore. But I literally, I have thousands and I'm just afraid to even look at it. And I'm like, well, that's not fun. And so I, I, I am debating, do I just nuke? Do I just nuke it? Do I just nuke the whole thing? Well, we've got an essay on our website. You go to the minimalists.com slash delete. If you want to delete a thousand photos in 11 yeah. days, it's real simple. Today, all you have to do is go and delete one photo. Okay. Tomorrow, it's twice as many photos. You keep doubling it every the next day, right? Like you By 11 days, you're at 1,000 photos. And uh, we've done this challenge. We've had thousands of people do this with their smartphone camera rolls. So you start there, you let go of the photos that aren't serving you anymore. You spend the time, you set up that trigger so you're deleting them regularly. But then going forward, just like with your then stuff, you're the one, yeah. you don't bring as many photos in and you don't have as much to clean up on the back end. One good rule of thumb for that is never save it unless you intend to share it. So here's an example that we already all employ. We take a photo of ourselves and then we look at the photo and we go, oh God, I hate the way that I look, yeah. right? And what do we do? We immediately delete it because we're thinking, that's not going on Instagram. That's yeah, not going to yeah, be my yeah. new profile uh, pic. I don't want anybody to see that. So what am I going to do? I'm going to delete it, right? So don't just do that for yourself in your profile pic. Do that for the people that you're in relationship with. When you get, when you feel tempted to take a picture of that tree, to take a picture of that meal, ask yourself, who am I going to share this with? Mm. What am I going to do with this right after I take this picture? Am I going to blow it up at Kinko's and put it on my wall as a nice poster that adds decor to my home? Okay, cool. Am I going to send it to my friend and be like, hey, dude, that restaurant you told me about, I'm actually here. That's really cool. If you've got something you can do with it, take the picture, yeah. do the thing, delete it, because now you've created a meaningful experience by documenting this. But if you're taking it just because you're falling into the pack rat, the pack rat's trap of, oh, I have no purpose for having this thing, <sighs> but I'm going to hold on to it because I'm too afraid to throw it away because some moment might arise in 20 years, who knows, where I'll need this thing and I won't ever be able to find it again. That's the trap that you can't get out of. Don't save it unless you can share it. Yeah, dude, I went hiking the other week the preface, this is going to sound like I was on mushrooms and I wasn't. I went uh, hiking, not on mushrooms, and there was this <laughs> gorgeous tree and it looked so old and big and wise. And I went to take a picture of it. And then I was like, what am I going to do with a picture of this? And I put my phone away. And again, I cannot stress this to you enough. I was not on mushrooms. I touched the tree instead of taking a picture of it and felt... You don't want to do it with people though. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, <laughs> guys, I was just, I was checking out this chick. I was going to take a picture and then I just touched her. Um, no, I was, and I just touched the tree and it felt so, like there was this energy I felt yeah. where suddenly I'm thinking about the tree in a context that I would have never thought about before. I'm like, God, how long has it been here? What has it survived? Then I started remembering all these like facts I've read about just randomly. Like, do you know when trees are in danger, they hold hands under the earth. And it was just such as like beautiful, <laughs> still very quick experience. But like, you think I'm going to go back through thousands of sad pictures to be like, I got to find a picture of that tree. I would have never looked at it again. I would have posted on Instagram to be like, look guys, I go in nature. I'm woke. And that, and then forgot about it. And instead, as we're talking, I just remembered like exactly what it felt mm. like to like touch this like gorgeous tree. And I'm so much happier that I had that experience. Alabama, what time is it? 
Oh no, what time is it? It is time for the lightning round where we answer your text messages. You can text your questions, your comments, your eggplant emojis to 937-202-4654. Those texts literally go to Ryan's and my phones and eventually TK. We'll get him in on the action here as well. We respond to a lot of people just uh, random throughout the day, but we also respond to some folks, well, here on the podcast. Looks like uh, Lauren has a question for us. How do you handle birthday gifts you don't want? I've tried to make creative suggestions, but my family still wants to give me physical gifts. Now, Jamie, you'll recall during the lightning rounds where we do our best to answer questions with a short, shareable, less than oh, 140 why, why, character response. Why are you pointing that towards me? Because I digress <laughs> into a million different tangents about trees every time I try to answer a question. I'll try my best. We, we call them minimal maxims. We put them in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers <laughs> oh, on geez. social media. Mine's like thread one of 56. <laughs> <laughs> Here's my pithy answer. Let's unpack it here. A gift is not a gift if you are not allowed to let it go. Here's something else pithy for you. A relationship is not loving if it's not honest. So here's the thing. How do you approach someone you don't want gifts from? You just tell them you don't want gifts. Because if you can't be honest with someone that you love, do you actually love them? Are you in a real relationship with someone? If you can't say, hey, I don't like that, that's not a relationship. That's an obligation. Mm. If you feel afraid of the person in your life, you're afraid of rejection, you're afraid of not being accepted, you're afraid of not being loved, that's not love. That's conditions, right? And so if someone's giving you a gift, why are they giving you a gift? It's because they want to add value to your life. And that's wonderful. So you can appreciate the gift. But once you get the gift, know that it is your gift to do whatever you want with it. You can donate it. You can sell it. You can put it on your mantle. You can wear it. You can choose to do nothing at all with it. That's totally fine. A gift is a gift. But once it's your gift, you do whatever you want with it. The reason they're doing it is because they think that gift giving is a love language. Well, that's that's nonsense. The, that's like saying pig Latin is a romance language. <laughs> we <laughs> give gifts because we want to add value to someone's life. So it's not about the gift. It's about the adding value to your life. And if you're getting a gift and it's extracting value from your life, it's getting in the way of your life. That's not what the gift giver intended. They want you to feel joyous from that thing. So instead of just saying no, 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 say yes to something else. Here's the type of gift that I would get value from. Maybe it's just more time with you. Maybe it's a gift card to Applebee's, whatever it is. Probably not a gift card to Applebee's. Watching you slowly hey, watch second guess that uh, in your head was so fun. You were like, yeah. Applebee's, and then I just watch you go, what am I? Oh, <laughs> gross. Hey, man, I met my wife at Applebee's. Oh, is, this true? <laughs> is that true? That's true, man. I, I yeah. love that. I love that. I was a TGI Fridays guy, but I love that. Uh, find a good woman at Applebee's, man. <laughs> okay, so it's a variation of yours. The right to give it away is part of the definition of a gift. If someone is truly giving you something, then part of what they have given you is the right to do whatever you want with that thing because it's now yours. A gift is a transferring of ownership, right? They bought it, they own what they paid for, and now they're transfer transferring ownership to you. I'll tell you what you don't want to do. And this will get you in trouble. You don't want to get into the business of trying to convert someone to your religious beliefs about how they should spend their money and what they should do with gifts. Because that's the business of trying to control people. And it's only going to lead to frustration. People are going to spend their money however they want to spend it. They're going to do what they want to do with gifts however they want to do it. And if you try to control them, you're going to frustrate them and yourself. But here's what you can do. Here's what's within the realm of power for you. You can reject it. You can receive it or you can redistribute it. 
You've got those three options. And that gives you all the power you need. When someone gives you a gift and you don't like it, you can reject it. And you can just be honest and say, nope, I don't want it. I don't like physical gifts. End of story. If you're not comfortable doing that, no problem. You can, t- you can do the second thing. You can receive it. You can say thank you kindly, and then you can employ the third option of redistributing it. Let me find someone who would really appreciate this, and I'll give it to them. Don't try to control them and give yourself one of those three options, and you'll solve the problem every time. Yeah, my short answer is you just go, look at how sweet it is that they tried, right? Mm. I... I have a kind of a weird trigger with gifts and it was growing up as a kid and getting horrible last minute gifts on Christmas from drunk family members and just, I, I, I'm weird with it. And so every time I've had, you know, an ex get me something I said I didn't want or whatever, it like, it, it, it hits harder and I, I don't like it about me. But ever since I started kind of going like, oh, this is cute, even when it's a thing. So we have... We have a, a a a family member who gets us very weird gifts. All me and all of my siblings every Christmas, and it's and at first we were like, "What is this? Like, he has money. What is he doing?" And now it has become our favorite thing, where we open it at the same time to be like, "What batshit crazy thing are we all about to get?" <laughs> and we laugh about it, and we don't even use it. And sure, it's a waste, but that moment of joy where we're just all just dumbfounded around a Christmas tree is 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 worth it. So, you know, you're going to have that pang of, of, of hurt or whatever it is when you see the gift you don't want. And then you just look at them and you go, even if they didn't listen, you go, yeah, man, it's just it's sweet that they're, they tried. If it brought that joy out of you, though, it turns out that it's actually not a waste. It's brilliant. Right. Exactly. That's beautiful. Hey, hey, real quick, just a, a little Christmas analogy. Santa Claus <laughs> has lots of gifts that he doesn't want. And that brings him great joy because it's not about him. Mm. An unwanted gift is an opportunity to be generous. And so many of us say, I wish I could help people more. I wish I could share more. I wish I could give more. And then we get a gift that it's we don't want. Yuck. And we don't recognize that moment for what it is. And we say, oh, my life is so terrible. But yep. That's the answer to that prayer right there. It's an opportunity to be generous. Now you can bless someone for free. Hell yeah. My mom was an alcoholic, so we didn't leave milk and cookies for Santa. We left uh, beer and cookies. Uh, <laughs> also funny story, when I, very similar, when I was 16, uh, I got a, 16, 16, 16, I got a carton of cigarettes uh, for Christmas. And the best part was, it wasn't for my mom. It was from Santa. It was oh my stars. in my stocking. Uh, and I couldn't have been happier than Marlboro Menthol Lights. <laughs> Cheers, Santa. We got a bunch more segments to get to, but uh, Alabama, what else you got for us? Here are some minimalist comments and insights from our listeners. Hi, Josh and Ryan. This is Laura calling from Kansas City, Missouri. There's a book called I Think You're Wrong, But I'm Listening by Sarah Holland, who's a Democrat, and Beth Silvers, who's a Republican. They have a lot of tips and insight on how to have kind and respectful political discussions with people that we love but disagree with. They also have a podcast called Pantsuit Politics, where they practice what they preach in their books. This is Caitlin from Salt Lake City, Utah. I just listened to your episode on books and thought I might give a tip for others that really helped me a few months ago when I reduced my book collection from about 400 to 100 books, about a third of which I have to use for work anyway. And what I realized was that the reason I did not want to let go of my books was because I perceived value in them, either monetarily or emotionally. 
So I took three steps. First, I called out all the books I hadn't used in a year and didn't see myself using in the next year. Then I used an app to scan a barcode of those books to see if any of them had resale value. I sold those books and made about $200. Last, I took the remaining books and posted them a few at a time to my Instagram story as a free giveaway. I offered to do a drop-off to anyone local or ship the media mail to anyone else. The response was amazing, and seeing all the joy that my used books were bringing to others made it totally worth the small sadness that I felt when I was giving them away. Welcome back to The Minimalists. I'm here with my co-defendants, Jamie and TK Coleman. We have a little segment here called More About Less. And I thought this was so perfect for Jamie because one of my favorite quotes of his, the most profound thing I've ever heard him say, I heard him say on his podcast, oh, rel- I, yeah, okay. relatively recently, I texted you about it. And you said that money doesn't buy happiness, but it buys you breathing room. Oh, mm. no, I was just quoting John Wick on that. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. No, John Wick. Dr. John Wick, the most <laughs> profound thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it. I, I, sp- I spent a very long time in my 20s trying to overthrow capitalism single-handedly. And... Uh, you did know, that work? It did not work. It's still uh, still alive and kicking. And and we talk about it on this show, right? And 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 I still talk about this. Money, it's not the answer. I mean, before where I am now, the richest I was was the most miserable. And I was buying things I didn't need to show that I was happier than I really was to be like, but would a sad person have a Pac-Man machine he doesn't play? It's like, yes, Um, (laughs) that is why he has a Pac-Man machine he doesn't play. And, uh, but man, when you are, when you don't know where you're going to live and you are 40 fucking years old, Mm -hmm. it is so scary. And it's scary and it is so easy for the voices that say you're garbage, that say this is your fault, um, to completely take over the orchestra in your head. And now that I'm okay, I can just, yeah, I just breathe a little easier and I can focus on not, and I've caught myself, by the way, I've caught myself going, well, now I need to make more money so that this doesn't go away. And mm-hmm. then I go, nope. And there's actually something about the rock bottom that you would think it would make me cling, grab more money, more money, more money, more stuff, more stuff, more stuff. But there's actually something about at least the way I'm I'm taking the rock bottom and 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 kind of morphing it that's making me go, no, man, this is great just where I'm at. You know, mm-hmm. I still get nervous when I treat myself to a nice hotel uh, for this trip never seen a hotel bill that expensive. And I was like, <gasps> okay. Um, and I still, I still feel that panic, that kind of poor person, whatever. But I've also had moments where I've went to walk away from an ATM machine three weeks ago because there was a $3 fee. And I go, oh, I, I just got to find a bank. Mm-hmm. And then I go, oh, wait, I can afford that $3 fee now. Yes. And I can kind of chill out. And most importantly, you know, focus on now that the money's taken care of for now. It could go away tomorrow, you know. I sure. I, I get fired often, um, <laughs> but now that it's taken care of, I can. Uh, this is going to sound fake, but it's really something I think about every day. I can just be like, how can I just be a good person? How can I just live my life, put good stuff out there? That's it. That's the breathing room that we're talking about here. And so, Epicurean talked about Epicurus talked about how we had nat- we have natural desires, and we have 
unnatural desires. Mm. The natural desire is I need shelter. I need food. I, I need clothing. I need transportation. The unnatural desire is like, I need a $20,000 Rolex. I need a Pac-Man machine right. in my apartment. <laughs> so dumb, you guys. And so we're spending money on those things that don't give us any breathing room. In fact, they get in the way of our breathing room. Yes. But if we do have money, money is really important for the fundamental things that we have. And it's not that there's anything wrong with buying a watch. But we often buy a watch because we think it's going to buy us more time, yep. more freedom. But it often does the opposite. And so having money, nothing wrong with it. We make good money with this podcast. I give most of it away. You know, We have a ton of people in this room. We employ yep. the whole team. There's about 30 people who make either a full or part-time living off of the minimalists. But we're doing something meaningful with that money. There's nothing wrong with money. I'm not allergic right. to money. And yet, I've realized that if I spend my money on the unnatural desires the Lexuses that I used to have. Nothing wrong with a Lexus, a finely made car, but it was a type of prison, thinking I needed that to make me feel happy, to make me feel complete. And it got in the way of my breathing room. Yeah. It made my mm. breathing more shallow because now I was stressed out over these new things I'd acquired. Dude, every time I walked mm. by that Pac-Man machine, I would always just be like, why'd you do that? And I'd think about how much it cost. And literally, I remember when I bought it, I was in a dying marriage and uh, got a big place that we couldn't afford and was like, what does a cool, like literally like a child, what does a cool person, my, what is a cool hipster liberal journalist that, you know, what, what does he have in his like dream place? Oh, like a Pac-Man machine. I don't play video games. I like Pac-Man. I was more of a Street Fighter 2 Ninja Turtles guy in the arcade, but I was just like, right. Um, but I was like, I need, um, like some arcade game. That's what makes me look successful. Yes. Not how do I become successful? What makes me look successful? What makes his marriage look like it's not falling apart? Oh, Pac-Man. And then every time I walk by it, I just thought about those real reasons that I bought it. And I go, oh, you're lying to everybody. And mm. you never play this stupid thing. TK, I want you to get in on, on this conversation. I've got yeah. some more about less. I'm going to read this and we can talk about it because this is from a, a short story here in the Paris Review. And I'm just going to read, this is from volume 237 of the Paris Review. And it's somewhere in the middle of the story. There's a man who's living with his sister in their dead mother's house, and he's fantasizing about winning the lottery. So I'm just going to read a paragraph from that, and we could talk about it. What will I do with $87 million? Andre asked himself on his way home. So he just played the lottery and he was like, ah, oh, what am I going to do? He's got his $2 ticket in his hand. What am I going to do if I win $87 million? The question was philosophical. He wasn't interested in drawing up a list of products and experiences and perhaps emotions that money could buy. He wondered what actions and obligations this kind of cash would buy him out of. <sighs> what will I be able to not do? with $87 million is the real question, he thought. He would still be required to shower and eat. No way around that. He wouldn't hire a cook. No, he liked cooking, not just eating. You couldn't hire someone to eat for you. Would he hire a cleaning lady? He doubted it. He cherished his solitude, didn't like having people around. People came with their little habits and their ways of doing things. Elena, his sister, was going to do the dishes a certain way, for instance. He knew this already. He knew it would bother him. Letting the glasses dry next to the th sink, open mouths up. Who did that? 
He wouldn't hire anyone to do anything. Would he travel the world? He didn't think so. He realized people would wonder what was wrong with him if he suddenly had all this money and his life didn't change. Mm. I thought it was such a fascinating question. What will I be able to not do with $87 million? And it made me think, if I won the lottery right now and had $87 million, my per- life personally wouldn't change very much. Yeah, the lives of the people in this room would change pretty dramatically. And, and the fact that you'd get paid a lot more for doing what we do. And we'd have, you know, we'd, I just have the ability to, to throw that money at you um, to, for what you're already doing right now. I, I don't see what we would do would change appreciably. It'd be nice to, I sort of practice an individual socialism in a way. Like it's not that. mandated by anyone except by me, right? It's like, doling it out to the best of of my ability Hmm. and yet we often think of if i get this lump sum of money here's the things that i will buy fantasize Hmm. about the bigger house or the luxury cars or the nicer clothes or the expensive vacations whatever Hmm. it might be and none of those things would change at all. If you gave me $87 million, my clothes wouldn't change one bit. My house wouldn't change one bit. My car wouldn't change one bit. Nothing would change in my life personally, but I would have more money to provide. Now, I will say this. I already give most of my money away right now. And the way that that affects my life is you realize that giving is living in a way. And it doesn't mean that I... And prescribing that, that you should tithe 10% or 55% of your income or whatever it is. I mean, you're going to be forced to by the government to tithe your, uh, your percentage anyway. Right, right. right. But um, let's talk about this, TK. What, why is that question so much more powerful? What would I... Because I think what we're really talking about here is freedom. That's right. Can I buy back my freedoms? That's right. So first qualifying comment for context, going back to what Jamie said earlier. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Um, The fact that money isn't everything doesn't mean that money is no thing Mm. because no single thing is enough to make your life complete all by itself. Taking a shower isn't everything. Having a good friend isn't everything. Doing work that you love isn't everything. All of these things are pieces of the puzzle, which when combined with other things, make for a healthy, happy life. We sometimes treat money as if it's special in relation to all these other things. The fact that it isn't everything means that we should disparage it or despise it or demonize it. No, money's a tool just like everything else. All by itself, it creates misery but combined with other things and balance can create a beautiful life. Moving to the second topic, what I love about your description of how your life wouldn't change with money and how it connects to what you just read is you've achieved a state of what I call FU minimalism. Mm -hmm. Most people pursue FU money. And FU money basically means I have acquired enough money to be free to say what I really think Mm without the Mm -hmm. fear that you're going to take away my power to Mm -hmm. get the stuff that I want. Because if I tell my boss that I don't actually agree with him or that I don't think his joke is funny, well, 
I may not get that promotion. And those jokes are never funny. Those jokes are never funny. They're never funny. Right? Everybody knows what it's like to disagree with the boss. I'm like, I think that's a terrible idea. I don't want to lose my job, though. Right? I don't want to get knocked down the pecking order. And so we dream of winning the $87 million lottery because then one day we can look our boss in the eye and we can say, hey, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't like the way you're treating our customer. I disagree with that hiring or firing decision. And even if they don't come along with this, we get to at least be who we really are. And money is not the only way to acquire that freedom. Releasing yourself from a concept of happiness that says, I need to have all of those things in the first place is what gives you that freedom because they can't take it away if you don't need it. They can't take it away if you haven't bound yourself to the assumption that I got to have that in order to be happy. And so you don't just need FU money. You need FU minimalism, FU simplicity, the ability to say, hey, man, I'm going to show up and I'm going to be who I really am and say what I really think because I don't want those things that you're trying to hold over my head saying I can take it away from you. You can't take away what I don't want. It's like what you said about the discount. Everything is for sale if you don't buy it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And by the way, ironically... For me, creatively, this happens, but I bet it goes bigger than that. When you don't care about what they say, uh, when you are just making art where you go, you know what, man, I don't know if anyone's going to get this joke, but like, I'm just going to do this one for me. The times you go, I'm just going to do this one for me. Oftentimes, it's the best stuff that brings you the most success. The projects I've done that have had the most success, the risks I've taken, including what I'm doing right now, which is very scary and weird and different, it's always the thing that works because you're doing it not to get money, not because you're clawing to survive. You're doing it because you're like, man, this is just what I want to do. Um, My thought on that quote or on on the passage in the the book is whenever I hear people talk about retirement, it's so sad to me Mm. because when I have millions of dollars and could retire... I'm like, does that just mean I make myself not right? Does that mean I'd never play guitar again? Does that mean I don't tell jokes? Does that mean I don't do comedy? I think that the goal, to the best of your ability, is to live the kind of life where, yeah, 87 million wouldn't change much, you know, where you're still, you still have these passions of yours, you're still doing the same things. And that, you know, again, that doesn't mean you're not all going to be famous writers, but maybe you write every day as a creative outlet. Maybe you play guitar every day. Maybe you, you know what I mean? But I want to be doing a lot of the same stuff when I'm loaded and 70, I still want to be doing jujitsu. I still want to be taking mushrooms in nature. I still want to be, um, writing. I still want to be making jokes, you know? Um, and then, yeah, just give away a ton of money. Yeah. Yeah. I I will say this. It's not that my life wouldn't change much if I got $87 million today. I'm not a millionaire right now, but my life would change. Not at all. Yeah. The car I drive, the house I live in. Yeah. My wife, my daughter, our lives would not change because why? Because we've identified what enough is right. for us. And that's the problem right now is we always think more is going to equal more happiness. But quite often, the more drains our happiness. It gets in the way of the pre-existing happiness, the contentment. It gets in the way of the enoughness, enoughness that already exists right there. Dude, the day I found out how much I was going to make at this new gig... After, again, weeks before, I've lived on floors for the last uh, four or five months, up until like two weeks ago. 
The penthouse floor. Though. Yeah, the the yeah the penthouse floor. Um, very fancy. I slept under a Pac-Man machine. It was ironically sad. And I, but I caught myself where I was like, oh well, I need to upgrade my car. Or when I was looking at places to live um, in Washington, I was like, look at this fancy place. And I was like, why don't instead we just sort of chill because I love my car right now and I just need a place. Um, to, to, to sleep because I want to be focused on work. I want to be focused on writing. I want to be focused on jujitsu. I don't, I don't need a huge fancy place right now. And then, you know, best case scenario, I'm banking money for the first time in my life. I'm saving money for the first time in my life. And then I get a little bigger place, you know, whenever, but I did, I had to fight that instinct mm -hmm. of like upgrade everything. And uh, I did exactly what you said. I just asked myself, like, am I happy. And, you know, and I, I don't have a family right now. It is just me, which a lot of times, you know, when you're single, you want to fill that space even more with things because you're like, this is all I have, but it's not all I have. You know, right. I, I am enjoying, even when it comes to the single thing, I was thinking about this during one of our, our, our first callers. I'm enjoying just even saying no to potential relationships or potential hookups, or I'll have like a flirtatious interaction at a coffee shop and there's no part of me that I, I've had girls give me their numbers because they look confused that I didn't ask for theirs. And to me, I'm just like, what a great moment me and you are having. I don't need anything transactional from this. Like, mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. like, I just had this like beautiful girl laughing who I would have thought was completely out of my league a year ago, right? Like cracking up and, and, and being touchy and flirtatious. And like, I hope that made her day good. It made my day good. Peace. I don't, I don't need to, I don't need to, oh, I got to hook up. I got it. Well, that's, uh, that's removing the clinging from that's it. That's what it right? is. Yeah. And when we remove that clinging, all of a sudden that puts us in the moment because you can only cling to the past, which by the way, you experience the past only in the present. Yep. <laughs> the past, yep. the past is a all done. mental construct of things that have happened before. And of course, the clinging to the future is the weirdest thing. Clinging to the idea of the way you want things to be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or it, catastrophizing, which is what I would do, where it's like, here's all the ways it's going to be terrible. Which is another type of clinging. Yeah, totally. Cl clinging to the least ideal future, yep. right? Speaking of that, we still need money. So patrons, if you want to uh, upgrade your tier, you're welcome to do that. Uh, TK did tell me that if you uh, unsubscribe, it's now considered racism and sexism because Mallory and TK oh, are uh, here now. Uh, Anti-Semitic. <laughs> yes, yes. <Right. laughs> if, if you're going to unsubscribe with my arrival, please just at least time it out. Like, yeah. wait two months and then <laughs> be like, oh, it has nothing to do with it. Well, but if you nope. do leave, we have all of your information. We will dox you. Yeah. So it's fine. Yeah. Anti-Hawaiian. You guys already <laughs> overthrew our kingdom and now you're going to do this. Uh, it's a lot. We've been through a lot as people. Just kidding. You can leave whenever you want. Hey, hey Josh, um, can I get one, one quick thing? One quick thing. I promise. I promise. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong or unhealthy with saying my life will change if I get more money. I think what's unhealthy is if you say my life can't change until that point comes. Nice. Right? It's like if I plant an orange tree, my life is definitely going to change when that orange tree fully grows because I'll have oranges that I don't currently have and I will eat them and enjoy them. That is a real difference. At the same time, it will be unhealthy for me to say, I'm not going to plant an orange tree because I don't have oranges. You start with what you have and you move towards what you desire and you don't make excuses based on what you don't currently have. Money is absolutely an amplifier of wherever you are. If you're a miserable person, and you go out and make a bunch of money, it's going to amplify your misery. Mm. If you're a contented person, it has the potential 
to amplify your contentment. The problem when I grew up is we grew up really poor. And I thought the reason we were so discontented growing up is we didn't have any money. And so throughout my 20s, I climbed the corporate ladder. I started making really good money by my late 20s, but I kept the bad habits from when I was a kid. Wild, right? Yeah. And so I had made good money, but I was broke. In fact, I had nearly half a million dollars worth of debt. Even though I grew up really poor, I made the poor decisions throughout my 20s. Yeah, me too. They made me even more poor, mm. more tethered to a lifestyle. Mm. They made it much more difficult to walk away. Yeah, makes sense. All right, we have a segment here. Actually, before we get to amass it or trash it, which is a lovely segment, I want to talk to you, Jamie. Oh, yeah. Since you are, I, I didn't want to interrupt, but since you already acknowledge me, can we make sure that the part where I said I'm getting hit on a lot is in the public feed in case my ex-girlfriend is listening to this episode? <laughs> <laughs> that would just that would just be great for me just as a person. Uh, okay, yes, question? Well, see, that is funny. <laughs> I, okay, that, great. Stand-up comedy has ceased to be funny. Right. Mm. Oh, let me, let me expand. I think that stand-up comedy is dying. Mm. And here's why I say that. Uh, a friend of mine put out a special recently, and he's hilarious. I'm not going to name his name. I already know who you're talking about, but yes. And I watched it, <laughs> and I, I was looking at my wife like, what are, we, what are we doing? Like, this guy's hilarious. But the problem is, the first time you go see stand-up comedy, think about Jamie or TK, you went to go see stand-up comedy. The reason it was funny is it appears to be extemporaneous. How is this guy or gal just getting on the stage and riffing like this? Yeah. And then as soon as you realize that, oh, no, you see the strings on the puppet. Mm-hmm. And you realize, like, oh, no, these are all pre-planned bits. They've been writing these. Out. Now, Jamie's a stand-up comic, but what I will say is that what I find to be funny is extemporaneous humor. So I think that podcasting is what is killing stand-up comedy because you're realizing, like, oh, we don't have to be rehearsed to be funny. The funniest things are off the cuff. And so now when we have these conversations, the moment of humor is because it was impromptu. It wasn't pre-planned. It wasn't written down. We had it on the fly. It's kind of like silent movies. It's not that you couldn't make a gorgeous silent movie today, but when regular movies came along, the movies that we have now, it killed silent movies. Now, I will say this. I would be pretty furious watching a silent movie right now. Have you seen a terror? Say it. Right, but have you seen a Terrence Malick film? Uh, they're mostly silent, think, and yeah. they're gorgeous. And my point is that could you still do stand-up comedy in some way? Sure. I, I love what Drew Michael did a few years ago when he did the special with no audience, and it totally changed the context of the jokes. And yet, ever since then, I have not seen a stand-up special that where I've been like, oh, this is stunning. And it's because I listen to so many podcasts right now that it's funny when it is extemporaneous, when it's not pre-planned, when you haven't written the bit down. You're like the guy who watches so much porn, he can't make his wife orgasm anymore. You're like, (laughs) I'm desensitized from podcasts to comedy. Um, Yeah, man, I totally get that. I mean, so I'm really lucky in the sense that I get bored and hate myself often. So my set is constantly changing. I will, I am always trying to do new material. If I have a joke that's kind of older, I'm finding ways. Can I pull the audience in? Can I have this line that, you know, can I add a tag to it? I want to improvise because I always want to make myself laugh. And there is something really beautiful about improv, you know? So uh, a good example I can give is you'll improvise something one night and it 
murders, like the best response of the night. And you just go, all right, baby, this is my new closer. Like, this is so good. And you try to do it the next day and you do it with the exact same delivery, the exact same timing, the exact same rhythm. And it just completely bombs, dies. And it's the same words, but there was something about the energy, the people in the room, the audience can sense that it's coming off the top of your head. I don't know why, they don't know why, but there's something magical about improv that'll happen. If I went on Rogan's tomorrow and I was like, huh, to quote John Wick, oh, it would die so hard. In the moment, it made us all laugh because it was silly and it was a legitimate feeling. That joke came from me first feeling insecure, then feeling, and I actually asked TK off the air, like, I need to, I want book recommendations, then going, oh, I'm gonna make a joke about it because I'm feeling insecure. And yeah. that's that's how it read, right? right. Um, so yeah, there is something about improv that's beautiful. And I think that a lot of comedy nerds like the behind the scenes, like hearing, you know, Segura and Bert talking about working out new material or writing. And a lot of people just want it to be this sort of magical experience. And I think we're inundated with media in general that even a stand-up comic that you love the jokes, it is so different. I saw someone's Netflix special. It was a very famous special uh, recently, but I saw her working out the material at the club first, and I was disappointed in the special because I was like, it was so much funnier in front of 150 people at the club. That's right. But that's just because the live experience is special. I love music more than anything. It makes my heart beat whenever they're like Bonnaroo's live streaming. I go, this is going to be great. And I have it on for five seconds. I'm like, I don't give a shit. I could care less. I can't watch it. Um, you have to be at the, but conversely, I was doing a show in Nashville the other week and I'm in the hotel lobby and there's this beautiful singer songwriter and she's playing in front of two people and a bunch of screaming kids. Mm -hmm. And I sat there and it was one of the best concerts I've ever seen in my life. And you know, uh, just watching some girl by herself. And I remember how that made me feel. Um, so I think the answer is seek out live comedy. I think that you're not wrong. I also think that everyone's trying to do what they think a successful special is. Um, whether it's, you know, we have to, there has to be a, a moral lesson, whether it's, you know, it has to be themed or they're afraid of being censored or, you know, whatever it is. Um, comedy is, and podcasts are probably oversaturated and a bubble is going to burst. But at the same time, it's growing in some of the most exciting stand-up we've ever seen when you can get past the divisiveness and the cancel culture and all that stuff. Um, so it's both, right? There's oversaturation, but there's also some of the best stuff. You just have to look a little harder. I have a clarification question here. Your friend, when you watched that stand-up and you were kind of like, what are we watching? Were you reacting to the jokes just being bad or the fact that it's kind of scripted or do you feel like they were playing it safe? The fact that it was scripted was evidence of like this fear-based approach to stand-up comedy that actually is a thing now where people can be funny, but they're afraid to be funny in the old way because of, you know, uh, pushback or something like that. What, 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 what is it exactly that makes you feel like it's dying? I think it's out of date. And, and just like silent movies are out of date, but you can revive that. Mm-hmm. Going back to the Terrence Malick analogy, if you look at, a film like Tree of Life, which I think there's like a 40-minute segment where it's essentially a silent film, it's still possible to do that. But the scripted thing completely, in fact, maybe that's the reason that Terrence Malick films are so 
profound because they are unscripted. Like mm. you have a film with Brad Pitt in it and they give him no script. Like how, I mean, only because he's hot. Right. <laughs> but, but, but some guys are, are scripted and brilliant, Brad Pitt could right? mime like, for an hour and I'd be like, yeah, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> here's, here's what I'm saying though, is the, the jokes in there, they didn't, it, they lacked an authenticity that gotcha. all stand-up comedy now lacks. Before, when you thought it was extemporaneous, at least they tricked you into thinking it was authentic. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Like, but, like good acting. You shouldn't know that acting is happening. The one time that I laughed yeah. during the special was he said something, he made a joke about a guy who was in the front row. Yeah. And you could tell it was, and it had to be extemporaneous, yeah. right? Yeah. And at that moment, I realized like, oh, the things that I find funny have a element of authenticity. Hmm. But when I know that this is something you've been working out, it's no longer, it's no longer hmm. funny. It doesn't mean like a TED talk. Of course you want a TED talk to be scripted. Hmm. That's, that's communicating information. Hmm. But stand-up comedy is fundamentally expressive. And the expressive side of things needs an authenticity. Otherwise, it's dead. Mm. I was kind of making a point <laughs> when you said the TED Talk thing. I just started, I, I started thinking of like Michael Pollan riffing, like, hey, what do you do for a living? And everyone be like, boo, what's happening? Um, okay. <laughs> so one of the things that I do to kind of avoid that. So when I used to be a very angry political comedian, it was, there was no connection. It was just like, now, now it's time to do the rant about abortion. Now it's time to do the rant about the Iraq war. And there was a rhythm to it. And there was people agreeing and applause breaks and, you know, jokes are jokes, but um, it was very rehearsed. Now, even a lot of my, even the more political stuff in my set, a lot of it, I never talked about personal stuff. I was, guys, I was such an angsty in my entire 20s was just straight emo angst where I'm like, I can't talk about relationship. That's hacky. I have to end the war in Iraq. And <laughs> did that now, work? Uh, it also did. Well, I mean, eventually, but not because of me. Um, oh. I was going to say, nice work. Yeah. No, no, no. It was uh, we, we, we fucked it up so bad uh, that <laughs> everyone was like, we're out. Um, so I, now that I'm talking about what I'm actually going through, you know, I found ways to talk about dating that it, it's very different that I've never seen a comic talk about. But also dating is what I'm thinking about the most. I'm yep. going through it because even though they're pre-written jokes, they are authentic to me because it is what I am currently going through. Mm -hmm. I, I, I believe if you saw the new set, it would still read as almost off the cuff because I'm still making myself laugh. I'm still going, oh my God, I can't believe I slept with that girl. I'm still going like, you know, uh, maybe I shouldn't date younger girls anymore. I'm still actually juggling with these things. So they're on the top of my brain anyway. And then they're coming out um, through the jokes. I also, this is kind of an insider baseball thing, but maybe you'll find it interesting. Stand-up is so, everyone's posting their clips online even before the special. And also, everyone's getting specials now. Mm -hmm. And if they're not getting specials on Netflix, they're putting out their own specials on YouTube. And I just got offered a special, and I'm very excited about it. But also, I'm not as excited about it. I mean, back in the day, it was like HBO gave out three specials. Mm -hmm. And like two of them were George Carlin. Like, it was, if you got a special, it was a big deal. If you got a late-night spot on TV, when I did Conan, everyone in New York was talking about, it. like, it was a big deal. And now it's kind of, uh, it's less special. Not a bit. There's, there's nothing special about it. Yeah. Here's what I'll say though. Those jokes that you're working out on stage. Yeah. I guarantee that I would find them personally more funny if they were on your podcast the first time you talked about it. I'm sure. And 
And the reason being is because I relate so much to that authenticity. The, the first time that we sat down and had coffee, not a podcast together, yep. was hilarious. I yeah. do remember that. I remember that too. Because it was off the cuff. It was right there. It was so genuine. Right. And it's not like you imagine showing up to the coffee with me. You're like, hey, let me uh, try out these bits with you. I, I, I got to do my hello bit. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's what it feels like when I see someone on stage. And that's why I think mm. to me, Drew Michael really broke the mold. He made he he showed the absurdity of the way we used to do things. Well, you know, what my favorite part of the Chappelle of Chappelle spe- uh, shows are. Um, what if I was like the trans stuff? Uh, sorry, I'm not, I don't, don't want to get you guys in trouble. Um, my favorite part of Chappelle is when he stops being funny. And he'll be talking and hitting jokes and it's crushing, it's crushing, it's crushing. And then he stops. And there's a silence that's like louder than laughter. And he gets serious. And you know a joke could come at any moment. But if it doesn't, you're still just like goosebumps, riveted, watching. And that's him being authentic. That's him being real. And a lot of times, especially knowing Chappelle, like that part is kind of probably off the cuff or it's not totally scripted. He's just talking. And, you know, Miles Davis used to talk about the silence between the notes. And, and, you know, there is something beautiful about that. And I think too, you know, you have a special, it's like, well, with comedy, you're trained. Everything has to be, you have to get a laugh every 10 seconds. Or when you start listening to rules or you start, also remember Netflix specials, you're dealing with executives. You're Mm -hmm. dealing with people who aren't funny telling you, oh, can you make this joke shorter? So maybe there was something riffy in it that some suit like got rid of because like he didn't get it. And that guy's never done comedy. He's never been in the clubs. Like you don't know. Um, But yeah, I also think that's part of it. We've got a little segment here called Amass It or Trash It. Jamie, I was just listening to your podcast yeah. oh, recently. Sure. You moved to Washington, D.C. Yep. And in that, you had a frenzy of accidental consumerism. <laughs> I went crazy at Target, you guys. Yeah. And one of the things you bought while you were there, you're like, I really need a robot to vacuum my floor. Yep. And so we have a, a picture here of your Roomba. <laughs> guys, ask me how much money it cost. How much money did it cost? $400. That is so expensive. And so we usually do the segment where listeners, by the way, you can send in your amass it or trash it item. Just email it to podcast at theminimalists.com. If you're watching the video version of the the private podcast right now, you'll see the picture of Jamie's Roomba somewhere (laughs) above my left shoulder. And people also... (laughs) often ask us, should I keep this thing? Should I let it go? You made the decision on your own. You decided to let it go. So tell me, what was the impulse to buy it? Yep. And then what brought you to your senses? First of all, guys, you should have seen it. It was a good half an hour. Like I drove from Target. I brought it into my apartment. I looked at it and I go, we're going back to Target. And I just, I went right away. Um, Okay. So I have, so I'm starting to hang out. I find myself more drawn to couples recently or people in happy relationships. And part of it is, you know, after the breakup, I like kind of like hoarded up for a little bit. I'm like, "Mm, this isn't making me happy. Or I was around comics who were just kind of like, we got to go get laid tonight. And and I was like, is this what I'm supposed to be? And I was like, I don't like this. And so now I'm kind of around these couples I really admire and they have these beautiful relationships that I kind of want to Mm. emulate or to learn from. And so one of these couples is in Virginia. Dude's like a jiu-jitsu black belt. Um, His wife is just this like really really funny, sarcastic shit story. They got cool kids. They got a dope house. And I, and I crashed there when I was looking, when I was uh, looking for a place to live and I woke up and there was a, there's a little Roomba going around their house. And I was like, 
huh, I've actually never seen one of those. And then I found myself in a very sad and lonely moment going, hey, buddy, uh, to the little Roomba. And I was like, this looks great. And then um, I was through Target and I saw little little buddy was on the wall and I started having these little Wally flashbacks. And I was like, I'm going to get a little robot friend to clean up. And then I got it and then I got it home. And then I said, this is, this is stupid. Um, you should, you shouldn't do this. And then I took it home and that's my story. You took it home. I love the way you said it, like back to its home. Back to his friends at yeah. Target. I, yeah. I'm going to, yeah, it's like the pet shelter for your Roomba in that a way. That was it. That was it. And by the way, the, when I had the opposite experience, the only time I've done that quick of a turnaround in the opposite direction, and this is probably metaphorically brilliant and I'm going to stutter through it, is I had a fight with an ex-girlfriend in Los Angeles. I opened for the rapper Talib Kweli. This is before I knew my ex-girlfriend was a very, uh, she was a very jealous lady and she got jealous of me talking to my favorite rapper, Talib Kweli. Very weird. And we got into our first fight and she was seemingly normal up until then and she starts screaming. I've never heard her raise her voice, screaming at me at the hotel. And then the next morning, we're driving home in complete silence. And I go, hey, wouldn't it be funny if we got a cat named Talib Kitty instead of Talib Kweli? And she giggled. And then I said, save this relationship. I'm going to get a cat, just like when I moved to Arizona. And so we went to the shelter and there was a little cat that nobody wanted. And I held the little cat and I fell in love with the little cat. And she said, because she's bad, she goes, uh, he doesn't do anything fun. And we left Talib Kitty at the shelter. And we drove home and it started raining like a movie. And I we got to the apartment and I said, I'm going back to save Talib Kitty. And I drove back by myself and I got him and he was my best friend for like four, six years or something. And uh, it was the best turnaround I ever made. And that was the only other quick turnaround. So it's like, when it's something important or meaningful, you'll figure it out. And usually when it's something not that important, you can quickly figure it out. And sadly, the cat was killed by a robot vacuum. It was killed by a robot vacuum. And to be honest, I bought the Roomba so I could extract revenge. And then I saw its cute little robot face. And I was like, I can't do this. And I brought it home to Target. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to checkout line wisdom. This little segment we do where we, you know, when you're in the, the supermarket, you're at the checkout line. It's all the impulse buys. It's like Skittles and yeah. Snickers bars. But then it's all these magazines that are going to improve your life immediately. Yep. If you just have the correct five tips, your life will be perfected. Yep. So, Danny, what do we have this week for checkout line wisdom? Oh, so this is this looks like an ad, but it's not an ad. Alabama, can you read this to us? You'll, I'll describe it for those of you listening. It also seems like the old school 90s. You remember all those movies where it's like, look at that nerd. And she takes off her glasses and puts her hair down. You're like, she's a hot model. <laughs> yeah, it's the Clark Kent effect. Yeah, for Mandy Moore women. walked to remember. That movie broke me emotionally. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so if you're watching the video version of the podcast, you can see this picture. Otherwise, we'll describe it for you. So there's a woman, an attractive woman wearing glasses and her red hair is tucked into a... A chain. Go ahead and read that for me, Alabama. Tuck and show. A chunky necklace instantly upgrades a dress you've worn a million times. Just don't hide it behind your hair. Tuck strands under it to show it off. Mm. So here's our checkout line wisdom. This is a little tip that we get from a magazine while we're at the checkout line. And all of a sudden we feel as though, okay, I guess uh, if I buy a big chunky chain and tuck my hair into it, I'm going to look like this beautiful model in 
the magazine. Thoughts, gentlemen? I like how it's still kind of minimalist or it's trying to be. It's like, you don't need to buy a new dress. You can wear the same one as long as you buy this much more expensive necklace. (laughs) (laughs) Also, you don't need a hair tie. You can just use your necklace to hold your hair back. Yeah. Also, like, don't hang out with people who are going to be like, are you wearing the same dress? Like, just hang out with cooler people who are going to be like, I love when you wear that dress. We have a friend. Her name is uh, Nini Yao. She was one of the people who inspired us into minimalism early on. But she owned very few things. Like, she was an extreme minimalist. She did this experiment. She worked in an HR department at a large corporation. And every single day, she wore black pants and a bright red sweater Mm. for an entire year. And one person mentioned it the entire time. And it just goes to show that no one really cares. They're not paying attention. Also, if you're thinking that much about it, there's a deeper issue. Once again, get my first paycheck and I go, all right, time to get adult clothes. And I just like went to the mall and I went to a bunch of stores and I was looking around. and I was like, I don't like any of these. And for anyone uh, not watching the podcast, I'm wearing jean shorts, one of a million jujitsu tank tops I was given for free and uh, no shoes. And it's what makes me happy. You know, it, it. this is what I'm comfortable. I wore it on stage on Friday. I'm wearing it now doing a, a very successful podcast. It's like, I just, I like it. But I still, to Mallory, I like apologize. I was like, I was wearing a normal shirt first. And it's like, because it was a V-neck nicer shirt. And it's like, no, this is a normal shirt for me. Because yeah. what, you, what did you, you said it really beautifully. <laughs> Do you remember what you said? Yeah, I was lint rolling it before we took thumbnail photos. Not, she was lint rolling everyone's. <laughs> I wasn't the problem. I, I wasn't covered in lint. No, 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 no. It was, I was already on the roll with it. But I, I said, I don't know what the other shirt was, but I, I like this better because this feels like Jamie. Yeah, like there, there was more color. There's more, and, and so, you know, I, we all have those moments. And that's okay, by the way. Like, uh, for everyone listening, I know I, I get the most depressed when I find a new thing and the new thing's going to help me. And then I I screw it up, quote unquote, right? So I'm like, okay, I'm I'm reading about positive thinking and then I'll think something negative and I'll be like, God, you're a piece of shit. Why aren't you thinking positive? Or I'm reading about mi- minimalism and I almost bought a Roomba or I'm, I'm, you know, whatever it is, but it's like you catching yourself is the step in the right direction. That is growth. That is, you're not going to suddenly just be, there is no perfect minimalist. There is no, you know what I mean? So anyway. To your point about the person who wore the red sweater every day and the black pants for a year and only one person said it, said something to them. The people who are at peace with themselves won't care if you wear a red sweater two, three, four days in a row or if you wear the same outfit for one week in a row. It's the people who aren't at peace with themselves because when you're not at peace with yourself, you got to bring the attention off yourself onto someone else. And the best way to do that is to talk smack about how other people look and how other people dress. And I'm glad we have those people because they provide an easy signal for me to recognize so that I know I can move in the other direction. Mm, I, like if I see you talking smack about the, the way other people look, the way other people dress. I know to move in the opposite direction because you're not at peace with yourself and I don't want you bringing that energy Same into here. my life. Let me keep a step. It would have been really funny if she fired the one person who did notice. <laughs> <laughs> hey, red sweater again. You're get out of here. Um, that, that's been a huge, I've been, I've been going on dates and that's been a huge, like I am not pursuing this first date is when, the majority or even the first observations they make about the outside world, about the person, about our waiter, about whatever, 
has to just go negative. And you're right. And it comes from just kind of an insecurity about yeah. yourself. So you have to project like something that is bad. Look at them. Like, look at the, look, look how they're dressed or look at whatever. And yeah, that's, that's like my number one, like, piece. And it's tricky because it sounds so confident. The people who talk smack about other people Great really point. sound superior. Great they point. really sound confident. But the need to do that reveals that there's something underneath the surface that they're not at peace with about themselves. Which they can fix with a chunky necklace. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this. By the way, listeners, if you have a absurd or maybe even a brilliant bit of checkout line wisdom, maybe you do stumble across some speck of brilliance as you're waiting to buy your avocados and bananas and tampons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just my Wednesday afternoon, most Wednesdays. That's a country song, avocados and tampons. <laughs> yes. Hey, well, you, wait, you know what, though? Th- there, there is something. Hold on. Yeah. Send us an email, podcast at com, and we will feature your checkout line wisdom on a future episode. Go ahead. And please don't just pick things based on the idea that it's all bad and we're going to find stuff to make fun of. Look for things that you think might be interesting and helpful because I do think it is fashionable nowadays to just dismiss everything that is presented as advice as BS and to be above everything. Oh, that's obvious to me. I already knew that. So therefore, that's pointless and meaningless and there's no one else in the world who needs to know that, right? It it can be very fashionable to refuse to ever be impressed by insight. That's like to refuse to acknowledge insight as coming from anyone or anything else other than my own brain. That's very Twitter, very like the case against self-care or even those minimalism videos like we were talking about, like why I'm not this or yeah, it's people just profiting off of just trampling on things that are helpful or that good. I mean, I get nervous. Anytime you have to preface, you know, you say something spiritual you care about and you have to preface with, oh, this might be like a little like woo-woo or, oh, this is kind of self-helpy, but it's like, aren't those things God and living a better life? Like, aren't these good things that I shouldn't have to preface? Because like, I don't want to get made fun of, but like, what if you just thought positively about yourself? Like, yeah, you're right. You shouldn't have to preface it or be embarrassed about that kind of stuff. I will say this. There are sometimes people who are cultural critics that aren't trolling, they're not haters, but they do a service for us. They do point out the absurdity of everyday life, the absurdity of our neuroses, the absurdity of our self. Uh, Look how important I am. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we need that lack of hubris. Mm -hmm. We need to take ourselves off the pedestal and it might take someone else's point of view to show us like, Oh, yeah, I have put myself on a pedestal. I have been acting like a fool. Look at me. I'm going to stop being so foolish because now that I've seen myself in the mirror, oh, I don't like what I see. Yeah. But most of the time we can't do that. We have so much hubris where it's like, no, I'm not wrong. You're wrong. I'm going to show you why you're wrong. And it's like, what if I were to step back like TK often does and just shows us how to get real curious? Mm. Speaking of being curious, we have another segment here. It's called Advertisements Suck. It's appropriately named. We're going to review a sucky ad. This isn't a morally bad ad. This isn't something that uh, we say shouldn't exist necessarily. But I do believe that advertisements are the largest problem in our society today because they're used to manipulate other people. It could be individuals who are doing it. It's corporations. It's not every advertisement is evil, but advertisements suck. It's the reason we don't pepper our podcast with them. 
Shout out to our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much. What do you got for us, Danny Unknown? We have an ad here. Oh, this was a good one. I was in Seattle recently, and I was walking past the store, a store that is called The Simple Life. And what you don't see in this picture was the sign that I saw in the window. So if you're watching the video version, you can see the picture of the store. So think about this for a moment. There's a store called The Simple Life, which implies that you, one can buy The Simple Life. One can consume The Simple Life. Mm. You can buy the right things to live simply. And there was a sign in the window that said 50% off. And I just thought, how ironic that The Simple Life is half off. It's funny. I When I first uh, heard The Simple Life, I mean, that's actually, it's brilliant advertising because I would think almost in like a minimalist way, right? I would be like, like, oh, this is, they, they sell white picket fences and soulmates and um, just like frolicking children. And then, yeah, you're right. It's, you can buy, it implies you can still purchase The Simple Life or it is, so I, I'm more thrown by the the title because I'm having a slight existential crisis about that um, than even the 50% off thing. That is a, a really wild point you just made. I, I love to see what's in the store. I love to see the disconnect or the compatibility <laughs> between what they sell and what they're advertising. Because when I think, when I if I see a store that says The Simple Life, I think, oh, these are the simple or essentials that I need for life. And you're giving them to me in a simple way in a crowded world where everything has to have bells and whistles. Because I feel this a lot. Like when I purchased my Kindle, I had such a hard time just finding like the most basic version that only lets you read, right? Because I, I don't want to have to always buy new books if I want to read something. I, I want to just be able to rent it on Kindle or purchase it on Kindle. And it was so hard to find that. Like, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to use this as a phone. I don't want to play video games on it. Just give me a simple thing. And sometimes it can be hard to find the simple. So they grabbed my attention by said, hey, we got the simple stuff here, but I'd be curious as to what I see when I walk in. I would love your guys' advice. This is something I am struggling with, actually. I've been really good, minus my little Roomba relapse, of not uh, about not buying, you know, crazy stuff that I don't need. Like, I finally bought... Okay, so I was proud of myself because it's also the first time I bought furniture by myself without mm. a girlfriend. And so I bought stuff that I was proud of, that I'm like, this is, this is me, and I was good with that. And then, yeah avoided a lot of impulse Pac-Man machine type things. Um, but so when I had this breakup, I ha- I sold all my books mm-hmm. because I went to live on a farm in Hawaii and convinced myself I was going to be a farmer. Uh, this breakup really did take a toll on me. And so I couldn't bring anything. So I literally, I sold all my stuff. I didn't have stuff. And selling the books was the most painful thing I had to do. And so I kept probably... 10 and I had hundreds and I, I I kept 10 and there was part of me, I told a friend that I sold all my books and they were heartbroken. They were an avid reader. And what I said at first was I thought about all the books I had that I actually haven't read. And the idea of having 10 books was really romantic to me because I'm like, I'm not going to buy another book until I finish these books and I can absorb the lessons. And maybe I even take notes in them like I always tell myself I'm going to do. Then I just buy a pack of highlighters at CVS and lose them right away. Um, But then when I moved in, 
and I got my two empty bookshelves, uh, I was like, oh, I got to start buying books fast. And I, I want to go back on it. And I want to just, because th- the thing about books is we, I feel like the answers are in here because they are, the answers are in here. But thinking about the books I sold that I didn't read, I would discover something new, like, you know, Buddhism. Then you go, all right, well, now I have to buy every Buddhism book known to man. And then you have so many, you're so overwhelmed. It looks pretty on your shelf and it's going to impress girls because you're enlightened now, but you haven't read any of them, right? Or you've started some of them or whatever. So I am torn because I, I read a lot, but I also, I want to fill those shelves and I want to show the world like, I am an intellectual, I am a reader. Um, but I love the idea of not allowing myself to buy books until I actually finish the ones that um, that I have. Whether, whether it's a book at a bookstore or it is a piece of clothing from a store called The Simple Life, <laughs> yes, it might be half off and you're gonna it's going to extract some of your money. But if you're spending money on things you don't need, then you're just wasting the money. And so that's when I say, Everything is 100% off if you refuse to buy it. Mm. Because quite often, I don't need the thing. The sale just creates that sense of urgency. Oh, I'll be incomplete without it. Just like your bookshelf creates this, oh, I need to fill this. You know, you know, if I folded that bookshelf up and put it in a closet and just looked at like the books I have right now. Uh, so now I probably have like 30. They're on a little uh, bookshelf that's built in automatically. And in the empty space, I put like a little Buddha statue I had, a little globe I had, a a stitch from Lilo and Stitch Stuffed Animal. And it looks awesome. Mm. It looks so good Mm -hmm. that literally, if I just, you just, you gave me the answer right there. If I fold up the empty bookshelf, which I don't need there, I can buy a plant. It can just be space. And I put that away. I'm not going to feel like I need anything, but I'm literally looking at something telling me I need more because yeah, I just had an old bookshelf that I don't need right now. So we're experiencing that with TV. My wife and I have had lots of conversations over the past year about watching less TV, possibly getting rid of it. And every time we kind of get close, there's sort of this feeling of, yeah, but we do use it for a lot of educational stuff too. Yeah, we like the occasional Netflix binge, but I watch a lot of talks on YouTube. We listen to a lot of podcasts on YouTube and we've struggled with that. But now that we've moved, we made a decision when the mover was bringing in our TV and it was all boxed up. I was like, don't unbox it. Mm. Don't unbox it. Leave Mm -hmm. it in the box. And I propose that we just agree to take the first month that we're here. We're in a new city. We want to get out anyway. Let's get out there and meet people. Let's explore. Let's not, let's not slow down our acclimation to this new environment by being inside of our apartment, watching TV all the time. If we want to come back to that in a couple of months, let's do it. But let's leave it in the box for at least the first month and just see how it feels. And what's funny is, I mean, it's only been like a few days, but it's not even a temptation right now because it's in a box and it's out of the way. And we're not looking at something that's at the center of a room that everything is designed around saying, can we live without that? Should we get rid of it? It's just tucked away in a box and we're not even thinking about it, which is kind of cool. Dude, I didn't have internet or TV for the first week and a half. I was at this new place and I told myself the same thing. I watch educational stuff too. And I started reading more. And the Mm. thing with reading compared to TV is guess where I read? 
I read outside. I read at a cafe where I can talk to people. I mm. read in, you know, locations that are healthier than my couch. And the second that TV got delivered, mm. I was just like, oh, you know, I'm going to treat myself tonight. And I just started watching some action show that I've watched a million times. And it was fun for that night. But now I'm going to have to be like, okay, we got to set rules and boundaries and stuff like that. Um, you're doing it right. Our friend Joshua Becker has this rule. Just because you use a thing doesn't mean that you need to keep the thing. And this is true with many of our material possessions. But TV was one thing for me. Home internet was another one. Think about cigarettes. You could use cigarettes every day, but it doesn't. Oh, yeah. I I guess I could keep doing it because I use it. Well, no, just because there's an addiction built into this doesn't mean that it makes sense for me to continue it. I don't have a TV at home now. Our, Our move necessitated the getting rid of our TV because we didn't have we, the last apartment we were in had a TV in it and then we just don't have one now but we also don't have internet at home and I refuse to get internet at home as well and the reason being is because well I'm going to pacify myself with the internet here's another beautiful thing in my home my phone gets about one bar of signal in certain areas of the house most of the house it doesn't get any right. so I can leave it we have something we call the entryway rule I just set it where we enter the home And I'm not tethered to it anymore. And it's not tethered to me. The internet isn't there. The TV isn't there. What am I talking about here? Distractions. Yep. All of a sudden, by eliminating those distractions, I've made space. You said earlier with the plant, there could just be space. We think of space as though there's a void, as though I need to fill this now. No. There can just be space. Yep. I uh, To be clear, I smoke cigarettes because I'm cool. Um, <laughs> I don't smoke. I don't smoke. But I'm glad I popped out earlier that. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. Um, what you were saying. So I did Cal Newport's podcast. And Cal was giving me advice about doing less phone stuff. And he does what, what you do. And the way he phrased it really... Uh, hit it home for me where he goes, treat it like an old school landline. Mm -hmm. Just plug it in, turn the ringer on because I always have it on silent because I thought that would be less distractions. But really, you're just, you know, what if an emergency phone call comes in and you just plug it in, you put it on the counter, leave it in another room, whatever. If someone needs you, you'll hear the ring so you don't have to panic and be like, oh, I got to check this. And the amount of times I found myself watching TV, which I probably shouldn't be, and not only doing that, but then not paying attention to the thing I probably shouldn't be watching because I'm looking at Instagram on my Mm. phone, which I also shouldn't be on. And you're just combining all these things. And now it's like, dude, I'm not even getting, I mean, you can get stuff out of TV and you can get stuff out of Instagram. I'm not doing either because I'm just inundating myself with just like garbage I don't need. You're pacifying yourself. I need to move on to our next segment here. It's called Obsolete Objects. This is When we look around our homes, we look around our lives, we find something that maybe served a purpose at some point in time. We enjoyed it. But maybe, just maybe, life would be better or at least fine without it. My ex. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Objects, Jamie. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Got it, got it, got it. Yes. All right. So, um... In the past, we've had things like dishwashers. Like, I don't need a dishwasher. I have one at home because my the home I bought came with a dishwasher, but, but you know, I, I don't ever use it, right? So it's obsolete for me. Uh, other things I've gotten rid of in the past uh, include things like, well, Wi-Fi at home. I don't have home internet. A TV can be an obsolete object. You were just talking about that, TK. Here's what I have. I used to wear cologne every day. Interesting. How weird is that? Like, why did I wear cologne? I, it it's not a bad thing. I'm jarred every time. I was in an elevator with a guy who wore cologne and it's jarred. I, ne- I never have. 
Yeah. But I, have you worn deodorant ever? Always. I yeah. mean, I know, I know. But, but recently? Uh, oh, I get it. <laughs> I see what you're doing. See, I, I don't like it. Here's the funny thing. I, I haven't worn de- deodorant in a decade. That's one of our obsolete objects from a few weeks ago. Oh, interesting. Yeah, we talked about this with Ryan and TK. Ryan doesn't wear deodorant either. Well, that I figured. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's got the look. <laughs> it's not surprising. <laughs> I'm still so, sponsored by Old Spice. Yeah. <laughs> TK Coleman brought to you by Old Spice. <laughs> <laughs> and so... For me, like, I used to wear it, and I never questioned why. It was just something you were supposed to do, like deodorant, cologne, just spray here, boom, rub it, and then, why? Because it smells good. Well, but that presupposes that I smell bad otherwise. Totally. Yeah. You guys have any uh, obsolete objects? Anything? I I just returned to most of mine. The cologne one's really good, because you're right. That implies that there is something wrong with you. Um trying to think of probably more impulse things that I've bought. But it, it doesn't have to be that. I think sometimes what it is is like, this served a purpose for a while, but now I never stop to question if I if this dishwasher broke or if I ran out of clone, would I buy another one? And if so, why? Why am I using this? And if it were to spontaneously combust, would I actually replace it? Well, I mean, I'll tell you this. So my breakup happens. And I sold most of my stuff when we moved in. Even like the littlest things where I was like, hey, babe, do you like these plates? And she's like, you don't need them. We got my place now. And I was like, yeah. And then two weeks later, I have no plates. And, uh, but then when I went to Hawaii, anything I did keep, which was a lot, I had to get rid of. Um, Except for just the essentials. What can I take on an airplane? And I showed up to that airport looking like a sadder inside Lewin Davis. I had like two backpacks of clothes, the 10 books I talked about, and one of my guitars. And those that, books start to become quite the burden. They're when you're, very heavy. Yeah, when you're just traveling with <sighs> everything you can carry and you have 10 books, it's like, what am I doing? Uh, and one of them is the thousand page Musashi book. Um, <laughs> yeah, no good. And uh, I can't even tell you the amount of stuff that once I saw it that I thought I was attached to. I mean, to be honest, there was some stuff from my past. There was some childhood stuff that like my parents kept because it was cute and it was me as a baby. And I was like, well, when do I actually look at that? Or just, I've just been dragging it around from place to place to place to place. And I mean, I filled up a Holiday Inn dumpster Mm. with things that I thought I was supposed to treasure because people told me that I I really, and it wasn't panic. I wasn't sad about it. I was just, you know, and then every once in a while I'd see that little stitch stuffed animal and I'm like, nope, this still brings me joy when I look at that. Like, seems silly to bring it to a farm, but I just, I felt it in my being that I was like, I want to keep this. So Mm. I kept it. Um, But I mean, dude, like I got rid of the majority of my things. But in keeping it, you do so intentionally. I think about when we're helping Ella, our daughter, yeah, with her boundaries of stuff. When she wants to bring something in, she knows about the one in, one out rule. Mm-hmm. Or if you have a lot of stuff to get rid of, it's the one in, ten out rule. That's one of the rules in the minimalist rule book. And it's just based on like if you go to like a, a nightclub and they have a capacity of two hundred people, you have to wait in line until one person leaves. But why don't we stop to do that with our stuff? Right. To be intentional with the things that we bring in, but also be intentional with the things that we keep. Because, yes, I did use that. Yes, I got some sort of value from it. Yes, it brought out the joy in me at some point. But am I clinging to it because it used to be useful? 
Because if it ceases to be useful, then it's just junk. Well, by the way, what you just said, I made that jerky joke about my ex, but it's also the advice I was giving earlier on the podcast where it's like, you don't, you also don't have to hate your ex. Mm. Even if you don't talk, yeah. we don't talk anymore, but I look at that relationship with nothing but, we ended it well and amicably, but nothing but beauty, just pure. It was insane and we were silly and it was so beautiful. And the fact that, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot recently. It's so funny that the majority of our exes, not only do we not talk to, but they are blocked on social media. They, oh, I, sorry, I can't watch Stranger Things. That was me and Amy's show. You know what I mean? Like, mm. like you just so just, again, eternal sunshine them. Disappear, disappear, disappear. And it's like, this is the person you told your most intimate secrets to. This is the person you woke up next to. This is the person you had silly pet names that no one will ever know but you two. And now they're just like, screw that person. I hate them. And, you know, even if it it was toxic or it's not healthy for you to talk to your ex or whatever, you are still allowed to have the beautiful memories. They don't get to take those from you. You know, I've spent so much time letting other people rob me of really beautiful things that happened in my life. And you, you don't have to talk to those people anymore, but you can still treasure the good stuff and not pretend like two years of your life was just with like some terrible monster, you know? And obviously sometimes there are toxic, abusive relationships, but yeah, for the most part, you can probably find something beautiful. So anyway, so I love how you said that about things where it's, you don't have to be like, oh, this is garbage. I was so stupid for buying this. It could be, no, it played a role. And mm -hmm. now it's time to let it go. And that's cool too. And you don't have to let it go in the sense that there's nothing to actually hold on to anymore. Mm. There's nothing to hold on to in terms of I'm not getting value from this. Mm. So what are you really holding on to? You're holding on to the carcass of the thing. Mm. A few mm. episodes ago, we did uh, the funeral for things episode. Yeah, we talked yeah. about how we put all our things, not in storage containers, but clutter coffins. And our basements mm. become mausoleums of all things. Right. Our closets become mausoleums for things. Because... We're holding on not to the thing anymore, but what the thing represented once upon a time. We're holding on to the carcass, the memory of the thing. There's nothing really to let go of because you're not even holding on to the value that you got before. Man, that's so good. You know, it. when we talk about getting rid of things, sometimes we think about it solely in terms of like, hey, freeing up space, freeing up space for something else or just getting rid of the clutter. But Objects don't just take up space. They also exert gravitational pull. Every object is kind of like an invitation or perhaps a temptation to live in a certain way, which is why when people study or they do serious work where they need to be awake and focused, they tend not to sit on their bed because that bed is kind of like an invitation to lie down, relax, and go to sleep. It's why when people change their diet, they say, get the snacks out of the house mm -hmm. because the mere presence of the snacks, they exert gravitational pull. They invite you, they incline you in the direction of snacking and eating things that you don't want to eat. And so as I'm experiencing with the TV, the TV has this gravitational pull. It says, orient the room around me. I want to decide where you put the couch. Mm -hmm. But when you remove the TV, you go, oh, wait a minute. I don't need to pick where I put the couch or the plant or the picture based on when me or my guests can look at this screen. What becomes possible now? It's like, oh, wow, I can just put the couch there because that's a really comfortable place to sit. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, and so all sorts of possibilities become open up. And when you think about getting rid of objects or buying objects, don't just ask, do I have room for them? But you can also ask, 
how do I want this object or possession to influence my lifestyle? What does it invite or incline me to do? Yeah, everything you said, I agree with. But back to Joshua's point, the opposite of that is also true where, you know, having, God, I should have done this podcast right before I bought all that stuff. Um, but <laughs> I, I have these closets that I'm not using. They're for storage. And I'm just like, oh, this seems like a waste. I just have this like stupid empty closet. And then I realized that, no, anytime I had closets, it was just with bins of stuff that I'm literally telling myself I don't need. I'm going to hide this away because it does nothing for me. And th that was all the stuff, by the way, that got thrown out where I was like, whoa, how wild. And I think about like my dad and his house in the basement. It's just like huge containers of just like things he will never see right. and never go back to. But there's this this nervousness of like, oh, well, I can't get I can't get rid of that. And it's like, well, do you use it? No, I mean, that's what I'm doing with the pictures now. I don't know the, I've never gone back and just looked at all of my pictures. Yeah. But I'm like, but yeah, but what if there's one in there that I'm going to one day never look at? I should just <laughs> nuke all my pictures. Yeah. So let's talk real quick about boundaries in the sense that we're talking about those things that we're holding on to. We put a lot of things in storage bins. We put them in storage lockers. We put them in our basement. We put them in our attics. Someday I'll use this. Mm -hmm. I'll use this just in case. We call it mm -hmm. the seasonality rule. Mm -hmm. Have I used this thing in the last 90 days? If not, am I going to use it in the next 90 days? We also call it the 90-90 rule for that reason. Yeah. Because if the honest answer is no to both of those questions, then why am I still holding on to it? Why am I not giving myself permission to let this go? What well, always has to do with the story I'm telling myself. There is some non-existent hypothetical future in which life is going to be better and more complete, and this item is going to be needed. I'm going to hold on to this just in case, mm -hmm. but then someday never arrives, and it just stays in that clutter coffin, taking up space, collecting dust in your mausoleum of stuff. You could TikTok that, Danny. Mm. Let's move on to... Uh, oh, by the way, if you have an obsolete object for us, I'd love to see some of your obsolete objects. Podcast at theminimalists.com. What is something where your life is just fine or maybe even better without it? A new segment we have here called Photo Friday Home Tour. Now, last week we showed a rather imperfect... Or it was two weeks ago because with Matt Nathanson, we had to, we had to skip this segment. We ran way over with him as we're running over with Jamie right now. Hell yeah. That's for you, Matt. So what I'll tell you is... <laughs> God, I love him so much. I can't wait to listen to that podcast. We had this imperfect photo of my living room. We were just moving in and there's like tape on the floor and there's like other things going on in the living room and it's rather incomplete. We, what we're trying to show is that minimalism doesn't have to look like it always exists in a magazine. However, today... I'm going to show you my level of OCD, and you, you're welcome to criticize me here. Okay. This is my junk drawer, Danny Unknown. If you want to pull up my junk drawer, this is literally my junk drawer. I changed only one thing to make it more photogenic, the tape that you see there. If you're watching the video version of the podcast, you'll see it above my left shoulder here. Otherwise, I'm just going to describe it here real quick. So this is a junk drawer. I use drawer dividers from a company called Salt. I don't know that I would recommend them because there's a lot of waste in their packaging when I ordered it. Now, they're custom junk drawer uh, dividers. There's not a whole lot of junk in this junk drawer, though. It's everything that is useful for me. So it's rather intentional. But I will say that everything in this drawer, I think everything in the drawer, might be a duplicate of something that is elsewhere in the house. So you can see I have a toothbrush and toothpaste. Like, And this is in our kitchen. Why do you have a toothbrush in the kitchen? Just in case, man. Yeah, right. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I... 
because I don't want to wake my wife up in the morning. I get up way before her. And so I don't want to like run the water while she's still sleeping and wake her up. So I go out to the kitchen and I brush my teeth out there. That's so sweet. Isn't it? That's, That's what I so said. so sweet. See, again, th- these are the kind of couples I want to model myself <laughs> after. Uh, I can't make fun of you, dude. My OCD kicked in. I'm borderline turned on looking at that. I was like, that is exactly <laughs> how you organize a drawer, sir. That looks great. <laughs> now, I will tell you that everything in here. So you got some gum. You have a little massage tool that I use uh, on like my calves. I use that regularly. There's some floss in there. There's one of those little balls you put underneath your feet when you're sitting at a desk. And uh, you just massage the bottoms of your feet. This is great. There's a few guitar picks in there, which I use regularly. I have a red pen and a black pen. I have a tape measure, which is a duplicate. I have a tape measure in our in our toolbox. I never want to go like take... I use a tape measure all the time. Don't ask why. Yep. Um, and... <laughs> I need access to it. So I'm like, why don't I just make one that's easily accessible? So maybe this isn't very minimalist to me because most of the things in here are duplicate items. But these are things that I use with regularity. And also, this is my junk drawer. My wife has a separate, maybe not as tidy, but relatively tidy junk drawer as well. Although her junk drawer is twice the size. And so I get to store a few things in there occasionally too. Um, I don't have a junk drawer yet, but I want to use this time to mention something about social media when you talked about your living room and, you know, not always being perfect or whatever. Yesterday, I noticed that my social media, my Instagram stories at the Jamie Kilstein, it was like me at the beach, me at a fancy restaurant. Oh, look, I'm at a fancy hotel for the first time, all this stuff. And... I also realized that earlier in that day, I had a panic attack. I had complete imposter syndrome about, do I deserve this life I have? I've been catastrophizing, all this stuff. And so I made a post about that. And I tweeted that too. And I go, hey, I'm catching myself doing the the thing, the, the, the thing we criticize influencers about. Like, you know, when you see like a couple and they did some kind of like photo shoot and the, the first line in it is just like, babe, we've been through a lot. And you're like, oh, they are struggling right now. <laughs> um, I was doing that. I was doing that. And, and part of me was probably posting that cool stuff because I was feeling down on myself. And I was like, no, but look, I'm at the beach. I can't feel sad. And so, yeah, I posted that just to be like, hey guys, just so you know, like, my life looks really dope right now. And it is. And I'm very grateful for it. And yesterday was pretty much like 80% an awesome day. Um, but also I had these struggles and dude, the amount of people who started hitting me back and they're like, thank you for posting that. Like I'm trying to teach my kids this. I'm trying to, you know, all this stuff. So the internet is not real all the time. Social media is definitely not real all the time. So feel free to roast me in the comments if you want to make fun of my OCD in the junk drawer. They're wrong if they do. And uh, (laughs) what what I will say is that future episodes as we're going through these Photo Friday home tours that we post every Friday for our video Patreon subscribers, you can see photos of inside our homes. And now the TK is moving and we'll get into Ryan's home as well. You're going to see some imperfections. It's not going to look like it's a part of Real Simple Magazine. There'll be times where even this you wouldn't put in Real Simple Magazine, but I don't like to hide clutter in drawers. If I'm going to put something in a drawer, I want it to still have a purpose. I don't want to stack things up. I don't want to hide my clutter. I don't want to hide a bunch of dead things in these drawers. Yeah. I love the contrast that you're showing the immaculate version where it's tidy, organized, and neat, but you're also willing to show, hey, here's what it looked like before. Uh So that people can kind of get the inspiration that comes from that before and after that a lot of this pristine, organized, minimalistic, simple, simple look doesn't just come from 
you being gifted by the gods mm-hmm. or you just having it easy or whatever it may be like. No, you too know what it's like to have to make decisions about clutter or have to adapt to a new space. This is all useful junk for me. As mm-hmm. soon as something ceases to be useful, then it's real junk. This is an actual junk for me. Right. These are non-essentials that add value to my life. And I will retain them as long as I continue to get value from them and they don't get in the way. Let's you, move over to our... make a good NBA GM with that attitude. <laughs> <laughs> We're trading Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> Let's move on to uh, some Patreon live stream questions. What do you got for us, Alabama? We had a question from Michael. He says, is there any way we can get more of a heads up when you'll be going live? Yeah, every Tuesday at 10 a.m. is generally when we go live, 10 a.m. Pacific. That will change sometimes, but I don't want to bombard you with email. So mark your calendars now. Roughly 90% of the time, it's Tuesdays at 10 a.m. We actually did two live streams this week. With, we did Matt Nathanson and Jamie Kilstein back to back. Two of our favorites for sure. Literally, like two of my favorite guests that are ever on this podcast, Matt Nathanson, Jamie Kilstein. We'll have to get you both in a room together at some point. I That'd be hilarious. Throw up. Oh no, he he got me comps to one of his shows once. So, but we haven't met yet. But God, that would be so fun. The podcast will be a thousand hours long. <laughs> 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 Any comments for us, Alabama? We had one earlier from Taylor in regards to Christie's question at the beginning of the show. They said, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between someone's flaws and red flags. Oh, yeah. You were talking about red flags earlier. Here was one pithy saying that I didn't really get to when we were talking to Kevin earlier about calming the chaos or Mm. showing up to chaotic situations with calm. And I think we got to the essence of it when we talked about like you have to remove the things that are creating the chaos. You can't. You can't show up to Metallica concert and meditate. I mean, you can if you're a expert meditator. You can sure. meditate at a Metallica concert. Jack Cornfield just kicking at a Metallica concert. But I wouldn't start there, you know? <laughs> and and so here's what I'll say is that extinguish the fire before rebuilding your house. Mm. Quite often, there's something, there's a problem. There's something going on with the relationship. And what do we try to do? We try to go to the shelter and buy the cat or we try to move <laughs> to Tucson. <laughs> and, 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 oh, this will, you're painting the house essentially. Yeah. But it's still on fire. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And you know, one thing I'll add is sometimes there's a flaw. Sometimes there's a red flag. And sometimes there's just neutral evidence of incompatibility between two things that aren't designed to fit together. And that mm. too is okay. I just got a new phone and I've got a perfectly good pair of headphones and a perfectly useful charger. And when I try to put them into the new phone, the phone says, no, that's a bad fit. I'm not designed for that. And that's okay. Neither one of those things are flawed. Neither one of those things are red flags for any indicator of evil. It just means, oh, okay, these two things don't work together. And sometimes we don't know that beforehand. And when we find out, we can accept that without demonizing or condemning ourselves. I like that your relationship is so solid that when you give examples of a bad relationship, you have to use your phone and charger. (laughs) (laughs) Very jealous about that right now. I aspire to one day be like, when you see a red flag on an Android, like that all. All right, real quick, uh, right here, right now, here's one thing going on in the life of the minimalist. Jamie, I don't know if you heard about this, but we started a church without religion. What? Uh, sort of. Tell me about it. Uh, it's not really a church. I'm just joking. But it's is uh, that why TK's here to bring some Christ in? <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing is, Ryan, TK, and I all have different religious and spiritual beliefs. And Ryan and TK were talking about this, and so I just sort of jumped on board. I've been thinking so much about this. Okay, yep. So 
sometimes people like they lack a community, especially in a place like Los Angeles. So what we've done is we're doing these monthly events now. It's called Sunday Symposium. Sundays at noon. The first one is August 28th. It sold out in like an hour. Now there are free tickets or you could pay to help us pay for the venue. So it was uh, an option for either. But we're going to be doing them throughout the year. So maybe we'll get Jamie to come to one of these. He could even do some... I'll uh, do stand-up. As long as it's extemporaneous. Uh, sure. (laughs) (laughs) I will improvise an entire... I I will do a fully improvised set for you. Or or you have me and Matt Nathanson. Hear me out. He plays some guitar and we can banter back and forth over the music, which is kind of like my music project. That'd be hilarious. That'd be great. (laughs) We had him uh, open at our... um, San Francisco show earlier this year. It was amazing. And I would love to get him to come down because we're going to have music at these events. So really what it is, is it's kind of like a live podcast. We do audience Q&A, but it's small. It's a Dynasty typewriter. I think you've probably been there before. Yeah, Yeah, Jamie, the owner there, he's amazing. He and his wife. And it seats 200 people. And that's it. So we're not, it's not about like filling up the 2000 seaters or whatever. It's how do we go deep with this small crowd of people? How do we build this community? And then we do it monthly for the people who are getting value from it. The first one, we have Amanda Montel there. We have a special uh, musical group, the Bergamot opening up as well. TK will be there. I'll be there. Ryan will be there. And future ones, I'd love to get Jamie to come out to that as well. Yeah. Community is so important. That sounds... God, that sounds awesome. Even like people talk about community is important and, you know, we're all divided on social media. And once you talk to people in real life, even if they disagree with you, um, you know, you realize you have more in common. That's all true as well. But even if you go to one of these events, and I talk about all that stuff a lot, it's important. But even if you go to one of these events and you don't talk to anyone, being, I saw fish for the first time since I was a kid uh, very recently. And it was wild because everyone grew up. It was the same people that I saw it with, but they shaved off their dreads and they're wearing nice clothes. But then fish comes on and they're still just like smoking weed and dancing like hippies. And it was great. And I don't think I talked to anybody that night. Um, but being around a bunch of people who love the same thing or who have the same values, sometimes it's just, that's cathartic enough. So I am beyond hyped you guys are doing this. We'll also be filming it. Uh, Jordan and Danny will be there. So if you're one of the true fans, VIPs on Patreon, you have access to all of our live events, including these live events. So you'll have access to that as well. So if you're not anywhere near Los Angeles and you don't want to make the trip out for it, totally understand. But get on the wait list right now because as soon as more tickets open up, and they will, You'll want to be the first to hear about it. Sundaysymposium.com. Also, I teach a writing class. It's called How to Write Better. And I share these quick little writing tips on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube. We'll put a link to it. Actually, just go to howtowritebetter.org. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. You can find all the different social media channels. And so every week, I just share some writing tips. I'll do a little video of me giving you a writing tip, something you can implement in your writing right there. It's not some esoteric, you know, uh, make sure that you're, um, uh, you know, the 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 conjugating your verbs oh, approach. Oh. Yeah, we, we're not getting into that. Although I can give you some resources that'll help you with that if you want to learn about sentence structure. But I'm talking about something you can walk away with right now to improve your writing. You can find all the social media accounts for how to write better over at howtowritebetter.org. Before we get to our added value, I want to thank 
Jamie Kilstein for being here today. And I want to encourage you to check out his Patreon because I am a Patreon subscriber. Oh, you're so sweet. I check out his private podcast, which is like an extended version of his public version of his podcast. But you can check him out either place, publicly or privately. This was also me trying so hard not to curse. And I still let out some big ones. Um, so yeah, the uh, if you enjoy kind of off the rails stuff that also the Patreon is for you. I enjoy your, you, here's what you do on your podcast. You yeah. take your neuroses and you scatter them all over the table and then you organize them in real time. Isn't it wild how I can come back to it? I am very proud of that. I was on a date the other night and she was just like, she was very similar to me and would change subjects and I'd bring it back. And she's like, how do you bring it back like that? And I was just like, oh my God, podcasting just helped me on a date for the first time ever. Where it's like, I'm used to just me. I, I did Pete Holmes podcast and we were both just digressing all over the place and just being able to, oh, circling back to this, circling back to that. You you don't realize the skills you pick up from this very weird job of ours. Speaking of Pete Holmes, Rob Bell, his friend oh, and, yeah. and a friend of ours, he always says there are no tangents. And what a beautiful line. Because we talk about tangents as though it's a bad thing. Like, oh, I was on this path and then I went down this path. Yeah. But if you're out in nature and you take a tangent, you don't say, oh, I I failed. Right. I screwed up. No, well, I just went a different direction. Also, how beautiful is that words? You just said something to me that inspired me so deeply. I'm going to risk derailing an entire show because I have to get this out because I want to share it so badly with you. Like, that's beautiful. Yeah. Also, follow me on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> At Jamie Kilstein. We'll put a link to Jamie's podcast, his Patreon, and his social media in the show notes so you can follow him over there. He makes some hilarious videos on Instagram as well. At the Jamie Kilstein. For our added value this week, this is a song by an artist named Vori. And his new album is called Lost Angels. And the song is called Cindy's Interlude. And this album is one of the most toxic albums. So we've been talking about toxicity really? today. <laughs> what is it about toxicity that makes the most compelling music? I think it's because uh, there's something that we feel within us. God, I would probably date this guy. <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> I'm going to listen to the album. It's going to be great. This is uh, Cindy's Interlude from uh, Vori. That's our show for today, Simpletons. On behalf of Ryan Nicodemus, TK Coleman, Alabama Podcast Sean, Jordan No More, Professor Sean, Social Jess, Danny Unknown, Post-Production Peter, Emma the Immigrant, and the rest of our team, I'm Joshua Fields Milburn. If you leave here today with just one message, let it be this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for being here, y'all. We'll see you next time. Say she for the streets, but I am the streets, so who are you for? Yeah, who's better for you than a boy? If I gave you the world, would you still want more, baby? Yeah. Heard you entertaining who for what, but you still want more from me. Double taps on the movie screen, this is like a movie scene. Yeah, baby, baby, baby. In the way I move, it's militant, I bullyproof the army green. Yeah. Totally never try, I turn a movie scene to a hard scene. Scared to give you the world, cause you'll leave me like it's more to see. I'm never outside, they want more of me. I can never picture them annoying me. Imitation is not flattering, it's annoying me. Can't be too hard to see. I'm back on mine. 
Back on mine, back on mine. Back on mine, back on my boot again. Back on my boot again. And you call twin, we're never twin, was never matching. And if you call friends, we're never friends, I cannot imagine. And if you were into about your man, they already had him. Some of them you got in your close friends are like even at them. Yeah. Yeah, all sweet and go sour after. Speaking on my name, it's like sour apples. They throw dirt up on my name just to dig me after. After it all, you know the truth when it's said and done. They hate to see what I become. I'm a star like the ceilings of the wraith. Don't like to talk behind their back, so I bring it to their face. Pencil it down like number two, they get erased. Rather see me catch a body or a case. They trying to trick me out of my position. Opposite sides is not opposition. On the battlefield, it's just not my position. I bring shit together like a cum, but it's not competition. You should stop all the distance. You know I still love you, I just love you from a distance. Still on that shit you're missing, no bad. I'm back on mine, back on mine, back on mine. I'm back on mine. Back on my boot again. I'm back on my boot again.